everyone, and welcome to Player vs. Plot, the podcast where we take video game stories seriously. I am Lindsay, and uh, oh, you're uh, like ready to go. Yeah. And I'm Sterling. Oh, I was going to interrupt you and say I'm Chris. <laughs> no, I, I'm Sterling is interruption proof, and his strategy is by saying two words. Sterling is clearly the only person who's used to having a conversation where he's willing to listen to other people. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> I love listening. <laughs> listen to understand, not to reply. I say that sarcastically, but that's that's a real growth area <laughs> that people talk about. I'm like, thing. ooh, yeah. I mean, listeners, we did uh, 10 seconds of silence just now, and it says a lot of bad things about me, uh, how painful that was. <laughs> yeah. I was like, am I looking at time correctly? It's like moving so slow over here. I'm just like, all right, yeah, that was, that was pretty nice. <laughs> so speaking of being bored. What are we talking about today? <laughs> That's a take. Um, we I know. Will be I'm going to make a lot of listeners very sad with my take on today's game. Or, or when some... we're in conflict about whether we like a game. Yeah. So the game we are talking about today is Shadow of the Colossus, a 2005 PlayStation 2 game that is... An action-adventure game? Yeah. Kind of, uh, before you actually play it, might make you think it's like a Zelda-esque A little bit, kind of yeah. Deal. But it really is a unique game, something that really uh, subverts some expectations of what you're getting into as you, as you go sure. through it. So the original came out in 2005, and then it got its first remake. Yes, in 2007, it got a it got what we would call or a re-release. Okay, yeah, which is basically it had a higher frame rate and higher resolution. Which, to be fair does drastically change how you feel about this game. Like, it would change your experience. And this and game then, ran at, like, 15 yeah. FPS, maybe? Yeah, and then they remade the game from scratch for the PlayStation 4. With the same team doing the Demon Souls? Yes, Blue Point. Yeah. Anyway. Were the new Demon Souls is Blue Point as well? Yes. yes. Oh, that's, Which we'll talk about that later. Well, that's exciting. Demon Souls. <laughs> Turns out this is a stealth Demon Souls episode. I have, I don't know, I have some opinions about Blue Point. <laughs> Good and bad. Good. And okay. Bad. All right. Well, anyways, um, why don't we just delve right into? Well, when was the most recent? What year was that? The ground up remake. I think it was twenty fifteen or twenty sixteen years ago. Much more recent, and that's the version. So, just to give listeners an idea of where we're all coming from with this game, that's the version I played. Like I'd heard about it because I exist, yeah. and I can't avoid hearing about it. And I knew it's like shtick. I knew what it did. But I didn't play it until like this year for this podcast, and I played the most recent version. The re the, the yeah, the built from the ground up one mm -hmm. for the PlayStation Four. And, and it's worth talking about the context of how this game was released because 2005 is pretty late. I mean, not based on what we know now. I'm late into the PS2's life because the PS3 was on the horizon. The 360 came out that year, I believe. Sure. Because it I didn't it, have one. It came out early. Oh, okay. That's right. That's right. And, um, and that's why it had the red ring of death. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and you know, at the time that this game came out, indie gaming was not really a thing from the consumer's perspective. So indie games were something you played on your computer for free. Right. Or they were something that you didn't know you were buying when you went and bought a PlayStation game that cost the same $40 as everything else. So this game got a lot of press. So what makes out. this an indie game? Just it has a small team? I would say that the big thing is this is not an indie game. Well, yeah, because it's sure funded by, like it's in-house with Sony. Yes. Okay. So this is a game by uh, Fumito Ueda. Okay. And that sounds really fun to say. You so well, and I would not, the, the Ueda. 
Ueda. Ueda. Yeah. I like that. And, um, you know, this team had previously worked on Eco from 2001. Which people liked that a lot, right? Yeah. yeah that yeah. was like a big, like, sleeper hit kind of game. I don't know if, you know what, I shouldn't say hit, but it was a critical cult, dark. A cult classic, People maybe. who played yeah. it liked it consistently. Yes. Just not a lot of people played it. And that's the one with little horn boy. Horn boy escorting girl. the girl. Yeah. Which um, I have not played. Uh, I'm interested to play it now yes. and see what I would, my... <laughs> I would honestly love to see your take on that game because it does... It goes so hard on the relationship between men and women yeah. and, like, the idea of agency versus lack of agency. Which, spoiler alert, is my big hot take on this game. <laughs> so, so, I yeah, I would be interested to see yeah. how they approach it. I mean, that maybe, game has a literal hand-holding mechanic. Yeah, maybe me knowing... But also the main antagonist in that game is a is female, a which is a good way to endear me to anything. I'm like, yeah. Women can be assholes and powerful you know, women villains. Women can be something other than a helpless maiden. They can yes. also be an ass. The hottest <laughs> Wow. You know what? I'm learning so much from this podcast already. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's a 2005 video game feminism, I guess, or 2001. Yeah. So this game was made by a team that was known for being a little bit artsy. So like... Fumito Ueda is not an indie developer by any stretch. Okay. I'm sure this game had a pretty good budget, and it was made by an internal Sony, Sony Japanese studio. So the first game was as well. Yes. They've always been He's, an internal yeah, Sony studio. Exactly. Okay. And they have, I think Sony has more openly accepted them as being their critical, darling, like cultural victory kind of studio. Where, okay. Where they get in the press because they have this art game, right? I don't think Sony balances has ever out their naughty dog. <laughs> yeah, I don't think Sony has ever looked at the studio and like they're going to make a hits money for us, right? And uh, I mean, I remember thinking at the time that was really smart and forward thinking of them. I like to kind of embrace that. I like that Sony does that. Yeah, I like that Sony's willing to throw some money at something because it's a good artistic choice as opposed mm. to a good investment. It's a and kind of a brand investment, and I think that that's really something that you don't see a lot anymore. These um, is some corporate entity saying i want to make art instead of i want to make money i'm a sony stan and i will say they still do that no no no, but i'm saying higher risk it is definitely higher risk so more people will go with the safer investment some more people will say i think that we can make money through art instead of making art and getting rewarded for that right if 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 you're a publisher and one of your developers makes like a real good work of art usually that's that is a unintended consequence of them making a very good entertainment product. Right. I think the flip side of that is how easy it is to self-publish now too. That it's yeah. it's There's people are less dependent upon the publisher to get stuff out but, so that when the publisher does get something they want to make sure all right. Right. I if agree. The publisher makes like a AAA art game, some people might say you know, I didn't need this from you. I wanted a popcorn <laughs> summer action movie. Yes. But, and, and I Uncharted agree. Eight. I agree with you. But back in 2005, 2001, this yeah. was something that you wouldn't see as often. So right. it was yes. a really big leap of faith on their part to actually even fund something Absolutely. like this. And, and, you know, it's that's why I bring up indie gaming, because back then there wasn't from the consumer's perspective, that wasn't like a different thing from a AAA game. The concept of a AAA game was still kind of in its infancy, even mm-hmm. as a term. And I remember on the PlayStation, like I played games like Kingsfield and stuff like that, or D's Dining Table. Well, that was on PlayStation, but there were games that were made by like a few people that were competing on the same shelves at right. the same price. Because Kingsfield AAA. is one I'm familiar with. Mm-hmm. 
And that's a pretty, that was a small team at the time. Okay. And so I remember Shadow of the Colossus when it came out was the first time I thought, oh, this is like a major like publisher putting out a game that I would have expected from someone I had never heard of. This was the first time I actually had the conscious thought like, this is weird for Sony to make this. Because it was something. willing to go against normal tropes or try to say something different. Well, and- I think games at that time had an established formula and mo- not really like an established formula, but y- people went into games expecting games and they expected something. <laughs> I, so yeah. like, I'm, not, I'm not saying Child of the Colossus isn't a game, but I was like, what well, I'm trying to say really is, agrees with me. No, about I know what, what, I, mean. I know what, what I'm mean. trying to say is that like you go into a game, you want to like have like a power trip, a power fantasy almost where you go in, you kick the bad guy's ass. And at the end of it, you're standing there with like your arm candy and a lot of money so, for doing the good thing. Like, well, the, I mean, like yeah. Mario comes out with all the coins and yeah, a princess. True, so true. like you're pointing to the action reward cycle. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, why would you want to play a game that, like, isn't a power fantasy? Why would you want to play a game that, like, at the end of it, like, poops in your face? And, and to be clear, like, lots and lots of games were doing this at the time. But I just had that thought because I'm like, this is a game with a big marketing push behind it. All the press is talking about it. A major company is making it. And they're very upfront about the fact that this game is trying to fuck with me. And that was something that at the time, like that intrigued me. So did both of you play it for the first time in 2005? <laughs> no, I played I, I played it in 2011. Oh, okay. For the yeah. first time. I probably pressured Sterling into playing it. So Sterling, did you already know, like what were your expectations going into this game? Well, most of what I had seen were the like EGM articles on it back in 2005. And it just didn't really, it really didn't like speak to me. Um, but I did see Ego Raptors, Shadow of the Awesome, or Awesome of the Colossus. I don't remember what one it was. Are you just mm. going to keep making up like possible? Shadow of the Awesome. I think it was Shadow of the Awesome. Shadow, whatever, whatever. No, I like, we should just awesome keep coming up with good like <laughs> Ego Raptor names. Shadow Awesome, the Colossus. Shadow of Awesome Colossus. <laughs> we all agree it has awesome. And Colossus. But anyways, eager after Aaron Hansen, who's in the Game Grumps now. Shadow of the Colossum. <laughs> Whoa. If only I could go back in time and, let, and let give Aaron. him this message. Yeah. Well, anyways, he made like a short That's little thing so about, perfect. you know, how you rode for a while in the game and you got told to do something by a big nonsensical voice. And I was like, all right, whatever. And it sounded cool, but I wasn't really a PlayStation 2 guy. I had one, Rude. but I just didn't really. I enjoyed the GameCube a little bit more. Oh, well, you had a lot of like multiplayer happenings going on at your place. Yeah. And the GameCube was definitely better for that. Yeah. So then, Chris, you did play it in 05. Yes, I definitely played it in like in the context of its original release. I think I remember that for one reason or another, I didn't have to buy a lot of PlayStation games for reasons I won't go into. But I remember having the conscious thought, this was like the first time I saw myself as a consumer voting with my dollar. Oh. I'm going to buy this weird game because I think if my money is going to anyone, it should be going to, uh, it should go to this fucking weird game. Yeah. And I I bought it, I played it, and um, I will say, I do think that there are obvious flaws to it, but just so the, the, the listeners know my point of view... I really liked it. I, I think it's, uh, I will say, a lot of my favorite games have very obvious and flagrant flaws to them. <laughs> like what? Uh, I mean, brief, Dark brief Souls. Tangent. Yeah. Okay. I love Dark Souls. Dark Souls. And you're rewatching. I know every flaw Dark Souls. Your wife replayed <laughs> Dark Souls 1 right now, right? Yes. 
And I'm crushing doing it, all these things. She got to Ornstein and Samoa and she beat them. And she's like, I'm done. Amazing. <laughs> I don't need I to like, play anymore. Yeah. Hearing you talk about it so much has me wanting to replay Maybe a Souls should. game. I know. But also I'm playing Code Vein, which also makes me want to play a Souls game. Yeah. I mean, I guess I like games that shoot for the moon, maybe not necessarily in terms of scope, but sometimes in terms of like being daring. And I am perfectly fine with them landing on some low clouds. And this game, so (laughs) I think knowing when we each played it is important because I definitely like it the least at this table. Mm -hmm. But even like, like it's not a game for me. I don't, I don't enjoy it. I can still really appreciate it as an important game because there are games that I have like I don't know that I would have Breath of the Wild if this game hadn't existed oh for sure and I also think even within like my modern context coming at it with what I expected from it it didn't meet what I wanted but I still appreciate the cool things it tried to do and the things it committed itself to I would say Chris your point of view is probably the most informative because you're judging it with more of a perspective that was formed in the context it was made Right. Like with what you expected from a game and like your bar, because part of it is I hate I did not enjoy the mechanics. (laughs) To be fair to you guys, though, I mean, this game came out as a new game in the last few years. The remake. Via the remake. That's true. So I think it is fair to go through both perspectives, both 2005 and uh, I think 2017. No, well, I, I played it in 2011 and 2020. That was Sterling's is the least informing. <laughs> yeah, everything's already like everybody's already had thoughts about it, and I'm just here being like, oh, okay. But I, I, I'm just gonna level with everybody. I don't enjoy the game at all. I think it's a chore to play, and I will never play it again. Oh, you've kept that pretty balanced. I feel like I've Sterling said that it. in 2011, and then. Nine years later, yeah, I know like, this bullshit. Again. Yeah, I know. Um, that being said, oh, 2018, by the way, 2018, the most recent. Okay. Well, anyways, that's how I felt in 2011, and I still haven't really picked it up since then. But you played a couple bosses. Well, I, I, I beat oh, the underwater. The I beat yeah. your underwater boss for you. Um, I think. Yeah, but, I did that twice, and I was like, "This is tedious." That being said, <laughs> you know, all of my dissatisfaction with the gameplay. I really think the story is cool. It gives me nice Bioshock vibes. It gives me a little bit of Undertale vibes in a way. Not like in gameplay, but kind of what the story's trying to do. Like taking an established scenario of what your goals are and what you do to accomplish them and then attaching different meaning to that. Yeah. And I think that's what's really refreshing about the game and why I'm happy to talk about it You'll never, ever, ever get me to play it again. Because <laughs> um, honestly, that game is it, just I. Here's I love question. I love the concept too. I want to like it. I want to like uh, <laughs> to play this game, and I just can't. You were the chosen one. We were rooting for you. So I have a question for you guys. Um, we were talking about like you know indie gaming, not really like a term. Yeah. We were using and like uh, again, it's not an indie game, but um, what was the weirdest game you guys had played in by two thousand five? Weirdest game? Yeah. Or like, like the game where you're just like, I, I don't know. This is not what I thought this would be. Or like, this isn't what I want, maybe, <laughs> from a video game. Oh, like weirdest game for me. Like, it's definitely not weird for mm-hmm. anybody, but like Final Fantasy X really like shook up my world really? a lot. But that's more because of the plot. I assume. Yeah, more for the plot of the game, which really like, you know, moved me a lot at the okay. time. And I was like, 
Yeah. Because you, in your case, you're like a video game. I'm not used to a video game saying this. Yeah. Okay. Um, but for a game that subverted my expectations or I wanted, Wind Waker. Huh. Oh my gosh. Interesting. I, yeah, also, I, I'm just like picking fights with everybody today. So like, you know. Well, for you, it wasn't what you wanted from a Zelda game. No. It's, it's everything not. I wanted from a Zelda game. What about you, Lindsay? Do you have a game where you're like, this is not what I was expecting. This is weird. I don't. This is such a hard question for me because we, we talked through this a little bit earlier. And I think that I, like I always had the off console, like people had N64s and I had a Genesis, but no Sonic. And then like. Everyone had. What? what? I know. <laughs> Everyone had a Genesis. I had a Atari fifty two hundred, not twenty six hundred. <laughs> so then, and then I had GameCube. I had a I had a PlayStation One when everyone had an Xbox. PlayStation One and sixty four were the ones that were battling each other, and okay. PlayStation One was definitely the on console. Then maybe I had a PS two. Also the on console. I had one of the Playstations. Maybe it was PlayStation One. Anyway. Mm-hmm. And then everyone had an Xbox for a while. And then I had a GameCube and I didn't have PS2 because that was when a lot of the big Final Fantasy games. Oh, because you played Kingdom Hearts much later. Yes, I played played Kingdom Hearts when I got a cheap PlayStation 2 in college. Gotcha. So I, I kind of was never exactly with the zeitgeist. So I don't think I had similar expectations of what a game should be. I think mm-hmm. when I found a game, I was like, oh, this is just a new kind of game. Like... Every game for a while, I was like, cool. Like, this is every, a game. Every successive game expands your <laughs> yes. idea of what a game could be. Yeah. Yes. Oh, so, RPGs are a thing. <laughs> like, when I think of weird games, I don't know, Crystal Chronicles, because I didn't know it was multiplayer. That is a weird game. Yeah. I, you know, <laughs> I, I feel like that's a pretty different game for its time because of how multiplayer worked. Yeah. And when you don't know that, I'm like, this is a very obtuse game. I don't know what I'm supposed to and, do. And even the idea of like carrying the bucket because the air will kill you. That's like the miasma yeah. purifier or yeah. whatever. It so was. that was the oh. most, I don't know. I was like, this is okay. I guess this is what games are in this world. And then I was like, I don't think I like JRPGs that aren't Pokemon. Boy, what a turnaround. I know. It's been a real, <laughs> a real arc for me. I just um, have to finish playing Final Fantasy X for me. Oh, God. So I know Chris, what, what about you? I mean, though, because like at that, that's a time when like, I would have been less surprised by things than I would be now. Like if yes. the game did something different. But uh, I, get, I think my answer would probably be C-Man. I don't even know a, what that is, but it sounds dirty. I'm just a blinking hard right now. Dreamcast I, game that I recently bought another copy of and will introduce to you guys eventually. But it is a game where you have a virtual aquarium and you have a microphone. Oh, this. And in this aquarium is born a fish with, with a human with head. head of... Oh, not a, not the head of, but a human head and the voice of Leonard Nimoy. Yeah. And the fish. I, I, I forgot you know this what? existed. I was trying to anticipate your next words. And there's no way you could have. <laughs> nope. And uh, the fish talks to you and asks you extremely personal questions like whether you, like, who would you choose between the, your uh, spouse and your friend or something? Like, all these and weird as a 12-year-old, you were like, ha, I don't have a spouse. Yeah. Yeah, it's a lot of weird questions that you don't expect someone to ask you, and you answer I feel like this is yes an no. early attempt at data mining. Oh, I would totally believe it, especially because the Dreamcast was online capable. Oh. <laughs> and uh, you basically raised this fish, had conversations with him, and then eventually he has babies and dies. Do the babies talk to you? I think so. How does he have babies? What, like, fertilizes 
him. You're asking Very too many questions. questions. What fertilizes Leonard? No, these are the questions we should be asking, <laughs> but not something we could go into in this episode. Okay. But uh, I guess Seaman needs its own episode. Because that was definitely more of an app than a game. We need like yeah. a lightning round for weird, weird games. We should. Oh, yes. I would love it. <laughs> All so right. If you guys have suggestions of weird, weird games. Well, one of them is already covered. Seaman. 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 I heard it. <laughs> Um, so yeah, that was probably the weirdest thing I had seen at that point. But again, like I knew that that was a weird game. I knew that that was like a niche game that wasn't expected right. to sell a lot of copies. Right. But this game is weird in a different way. Weird in like a way. I feel like it wears it like a badge. It's like, yeah, we're subversive. It's like the goth kid in your class. I don't think oh, it's yeah. explicitly saying it's subversive until you finish it. I, think, I do think you have to read the press about this game to know it's weird. Because when you see the setup, it looks like a classic game. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. I think the weirdest thing that happens is as soon as you take control and you realize that, like, the camera never like a leaves me in the for sun. closing your fist. <laughs> and, yes. like, this game is clearly, it's almost like the first time I, I put on Death Stranding, because I love when games play with controls. And I pushed R1, and my character put his hand over his mouth. Whoa. And I was like, okay, I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> this is a weird thing to. You're like, no, that's the block and parry button. What are you doing? Uh, I mean, Death Stranding has a button for holding your left backpack strap, a button for holding your right backpack strap, and there's a button for covering your mouth. And I was like, this game is going so What are you covering your mouth with if you're already holding your backpack? You have to choose. Backpack stability. It's a ludological decision. This game exactly like Shadow of the Colossus and that I'm like, I respect the cool decisions it's making mechanically, but I don't want to touch any of those buttons. And having played Death Stranding... Uh, I would not force you to play it. Thank you. I think it's cool, but I would not. I would not <laughs> burden you upon. with this. Yeah. Oh man. So this game, then the press was very much like this is different. This is there's something cool about it and interesting. It had that indie vibe without being an inherently indie game. So then, do you want to get into? Yeah, the- I think we've talked about it for almost yeah. like twenty minutes now. So what's and the so, premise? So the premise of the game is you are a wanderer. Um, who has been shorthanded to wander for most cases. Okay, I have, okay is, sorry, not to interrupt with a question. Name, yeah, that's his literal name. Is his literal name? Yeah. His I name always, is actually Wanda, but in, in, Japanese. in Japanese. Yeah, yeah. does that I mean was anything? Going over, I was going, I found like, so I was doing some archaeology and found some of the old forums of like, you know, like ASCII art and guides from around that time. And people called him the Wanderer yes. on it. Yes, they do, but notably. They're wrong. If no, no, you look at the, <laughs> he is the, called the Wanderer, but in English, his name is Wander. And in Japanese, his name is Wanda, but not. It's not like a word that you would use to mean wanderer in, in Japanese. Japanese. Oh, okay. It's just the English word, well, English name Wanda, which if you were savvy, you would pick up on that being like, you know. A, a, a nod, reference. a tip of the yeah. hat to wander. Yeah, it is, it is a very like symbolic name. Okay. You would only know that if you. Wait, what is it symbolic of? Wandering. Symbolic in the sense that like his role in the game is being a wanderer. Oh, it just sounds like wander. Yes. Yeah. Okay, yes. cool. So it, Wanda, yeah. Got it. Because at one point they mistranslated it into English as Wanda. And then they, yeah, they'd already decided it would be Wander. And then like some presser or something they were putting out in like sync with the game, put it as Wanda in English. And they're like, no, no, it is Wander. Okay. So like they were using the, they were just going off of what they had seen in the game where people were. I guess. I I just think think it's it's even referred to weird 
that they name him Wander. That's a weird name, right? Yeah. Like, and then he wanders away. It's like he was meant to become his name. It's a name that's like that. Like, really gets to the to like one of the big issues of localization is that Wanda does not mean the same thing to a Japanese audience that Wander means to an American. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, uh, that's uh, something that a lot of you know different languages will think about when they name their things. They'll they'll say, "Oh, that does sound like something in English," but Again, they want that thing that it sounds like in English to have like kind of a localized, like in their native mm-hmm. tongue, sound like it could be a name and it doesn't translate yeah. well. Because oh. there, there are like lots of things in, in like Chinese that don't translate well just because of what they've decided to name them. And you're like, oh, OK, I'm just going to say what they're saying. But it does sound similar to like something. It doesn't have the same effect. Right. Yeah. I, I worth pointing out, too, in Japanese, the game's name is Wander and Colossus. Oh, interesting. Like Wanda to Colossus. Okay. Well, anyways, Wander is on a horse riding somberly, very like morose-like through many different landscapes with a big rolled, like almost carpet on his back. Yeah, carpet. And on the horse's butt. And and so he finally gets to a large, it turns out he's been on a plateau and he starts going across a bridge to a tower in the middle of uh, the Mm -hmm. part not on the plateau. Yeah. Um, He's crossing a, a huge valley. Yeah, a big yeah. valley. That's the word I was looking for and embarrassedly couldn't think of. No, that's right. Um, and and there's, there's mountains on one side and an ocean, so you definitely get this. There's like an isolated area you're entering. Yes. And it looks desolate except for a couple ruins and the bridge leading to the big tower. Mm-hmm. You know, he gets down to the bottom of the tower and puts the carpet-like object onto a beer a podium like thing and takes off the cloth and reveals a woman who we learn to be mana mano 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 i'm sorry which i think is also interesting both of their names are just like words like mano is like one i don't know what that's about i guess maybe i do and then well also mono means well Lindsay, you're gonna love this oh no mono can mean person or it can also mean thing (laughs) (laughs) that confirms everything (laughs) that just confirms all of my theories about this game and this poor woman's role (laughs) guys everyone all the listeners need to know that mono is the most interesting character in this game and this game does not acknowledge it and we're gonna get we're definitely gonna get to this because we're this plot is light enough that i think for this episode we're going to be we'll summarize it for you and then we'll get into what it means and we'll talk about how the mechanics kind of got you there. Yeah. And, and so anyways, as he's unveiling her um, a little bit before then, we get this voiceover of like from a mask, just the mask. And it says that place began from the resonance of intersecting points. They are memories replaced by ends and not and etched into stone, blood, young sprouts, sky, and the one with the ability to control beings created from light. In that world, it is said that if one should wish it, one can bring back the souls of the dead. But to trespass upon that land is strictly forbidden. And, you know, I read that whole thing because there's so little dialogue in this game yeah. that um, I find it, you it's know. It's worth, like, using what little text or verbal text is there. Yes. So he ends up getting there, and it's implied that this woman, who is clearly not alive, is... Oh, yeah, imp- they go out of their way to show you how dead she looks. Yeah. Like, very pale. Very 
so this woman, Mono, is Rigor clearly Mortis the... Rigor not set in, though. Just clearly the impetus of <laughs> his this entire journey that Wander has taken. And as he's sitting there, or not sitting, just looking at this deceased woman, a light from above, like almost a skylight, starts shining down and in a very nonsensical voice. It's But it's the language, so it's not fair of me to say that. But it's just kind of like a booming, like... Yeah, and it's a, a kind of. male and female voice as like a chorus. Yeah, yeah, they layer them together. And they this game does do the thing where it creates a fake language to kind of add to... The mystique. Yeah. yeah the Lots fantasy. of L's. So you immediately know, like, this is not your language <laughs> you're used to. Yes. And Light points out, like, hey, I see you have the ancient sword, so you're immortal. And the when Wander's like, oh, are you Dorman? The, this guy, this godlike spirit? And Which, pin in that. I know we've broken down everyone else's names, but I'm going to save breaking down Dorman's name for the end. Well, for after the story synopsis, because I think that's an exciting rabbit hole. And so he's like, are you Dorman? I've been told at this place, at the end of the world, there exists a being who can control the souls of the dead. He's like, yeah, you're right. But uh, I'm, that's me. And <laughs> he says it just like that. He's like, yeah, you Wander's got it. Like, Wander points to Mano, Mano and was like, and says, she was sacrificed for she has a cursed fate. Please bring her soul back. Essentially, that's the whole point. And Dorman says to Wander, all right, I've got uh, 16 beasts, colossi, if you will, that you need to kill. And once they're all broken, killed, their statues here will break and I will be able to do something for you. Though it will take a high price. Are you willing to pay that? Uh, sorry, I feel bad saying this. This makes me think of Frampton Dark Souls. Because <laughs> at some point he tells you, oh, you want to succeed the previous god of the world, the god of fire? Um, yeah, you have to do these things and you will pay, like, you will have to make a sacrifice. Is Framped one of the snake men? Yeah, he's one yeah. of the snake men. Is he the, down, the low one? No, he's the one that the shows one? up in, yeah. in the fire. He's the one shrine. you're most likely to meet. Oh, okay, okay. The, like, easiest one. So mm-hmm. anyways, Dorman says, uh, but heed this, the price you pay may be heavy indeed. And Wander says, it doesn't matter. Dorman says, very well. So we know. Yeah, so he's kind of making a deal with the devil. He's like, yeah, I brought the magic sword. Because at first, there are like some shadow figures. And it's like, oh, they're they're going to get him. And then he's like, haha, magic sword. And they go away. And Dorman's like, oh, I thought you were kind of going to be a waste of space. But yeah, sounds like you could really do it. <laughs> I bet some other people came there and were like, Dorman? And no one answered. <laughs> I like that. And then they did the long, lonely walk I, back on the bridge. I also think it's interesting to unpack the word price because in my mind, that is, even in a very romantic story, that is an inevitable thing that every hero must pay. Mm-hmm. Like they must suffer. They must, their heel gets like cut off by the gate closing or like they take a wound from an enemy or something like that. And like, like certain arrow to the knee, <laughs> arrow to the knee. There's a, there's a mid 2000s meme for everybody to go with this. 2010s. Is it really? Yeah. yeah. yeah it's Skyrim feels so old. I think it's older than me sometimes. <laughs> Skyrim came out, I think in 2010, 2012, oh my gosh. 2012. Oh my gosh. Yes. 2011 or 12. Every anyway. year that that game has been out feels like 
I might five more old. years that I game's think, been out. <laughs> I think it was eleven. Anyways, it's not important. But anyway, so I'm just thinking, like, from Wander's perspective, right? Standing here in this room, having crossed the world to get to what they call the end of the world, he's probably thinking, like, yeah, I, I'm already paying a price, buddy. Like, <laughs> like this sucks. <laughs> like, I've I, traveled uh, a long way carrying uh, this body on yes. my horse. Like yeah, my my the, my people. Call this the forbidden place. Like, yeah, in the context of like a heroic journey, like price could mean anything. It's a pretty natural start. But I mean, I don't think even I don't think we can even start this off as a heroic journey because at the very beginning, we already know that this is forbidden from him. Like his society tells him, don't do this. And he's already gone out and started doing it. I mean, that is 100% true, but I guess it's every hero must go to the forbidden place, I think. Yes. And the Wind Waker at the beginning, you go to the Forsaken Fortress. Yes. And we all know Wind Waker is Sterling's favorite (laughs) So I was like, please do not use Wind Waker as an example (laughs) of what a story should be. I know. So so Wander's like, to the meat of the game. Yeah. and, and, And the meat of the game is to go and kill these 16 Colossi. How do you find them? You find them by raising your sword and a beam of light points to exactly where they are. Based off of the language that you've already been told, it feels like that these are beings or vessels made from light. And and worth making a mental note that like this sword wants you to find this thing it's pointing at. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, you know, you go and you find a Colossi. Oh, wait. Colossus. But you get there. Via your horse. Agro. 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 Agro, yeah. Yes. I just like the way he says it in the game. Agro. Yes. Agro. This is another divisive thing, but I love Agro. I think this is the greatest horse I've ever ridden Wait, in a video what? Game. How is this divisive? I thought a lot of people don't like Agro. I don't like riding him, but I like Oh, yeah. That's him. the thing. I like... The camera angle How, while riding like him? Riding him, yes. Oh, okay. So we should probably talk about, like, immediately, as soon as you start controlling Agro. Uh, Wander... Like, what oh, are the, the weird kid. things that jumped out to you guys about it. controls and camera? Everything, I'm really. I'm telling you what should, you should talk about, apparently. Um, uh, Chris, I think that maybe what you want me to say is the camera. Yeah. <laughs> I, it's, it's, it has this perspective where it's not in the normal spot. It doesn't really align with your perspective that you want to help you aim and line things up. And it's it's from a kind of higher, farther back place where you're not centered and you're smaller on the screen than you're used to in a traditional. I get real place. like Resident Evil One vibes and like, oh, the camera is like so different and unique and it really adds to the game. But at the time, I feel like it might have been a technical limitation just to try and get the Colossus in the frame. Um, I don't think so at, for Colossus. For Resident Evil, yes, because they use pre-rendered backgrounds, which means it's impossible to control the camera. Mm-hmm. But... Worth noting, Colossus is one of the first games of that time when they just gave you full camera control. And Interesting. Like move, and like you use the right stick as you're running around to like guide your focus. So this is like because even dual stick FPSs were still like a brand right. new thing at the time. Yeah, Halo really Which popularized sounds, that. That makes it sound like oh, you can control the camera, but well, importantly, yes. So this no. game is. Kind of a hybrid of how games control, like how their cameras work. So before the dual stick camera, you had to rely on two things. One, most camera, most games had a camera centering button, like Zelda, mm-hmm. um, like Ocarina of Time. And then two, uh, games would just direct the camera for you. And so having full camera control attached to like an analog stick, which has like the equivalent of mouse acceleration or whatever, like. Far from the first game to do it, because like Wind Waker was 2001 or something like that, mm-hmm, and that was full mm-hmm. camera control. 
but it was one of the first games to to not only give you that control, but take but it away. So yes, <laughs> very like flagrantly and powerfully like wrench control away from you to force you to look at things, uh, which is something even games today prefer not to do for good obvious reason. convenience reasons, <laughs> right? Yeah, I will say it. This is one of those things where like conceptually, I'm like, oh, it's so cool because this game deals a lot with that feeling of scope and size and it's like this is what you might look like to a colossus and you're a small wanderer in this vast land like artistically it does a lot of cool things when i played with it though i'm like this is just slog like i hate fighting my camera to be able to walk and find where i'm going and so i appreciate that it's conveying things to me and it makes things difficult for me but i'm like no thanks i will say it's worth mentioning this is one of those places where context changes things because in 2020, if a game gives me camera control, I'm expecting to be expected to use camera control constantly. Yeah. Like I always have a thumb on the camera when I play any third person game or well, any game really. Yeah. Um, but in Colossus, uh, if you, if the camera starts changing, if you just let it change it, it will almost always point you in the direction Where you, you want to be, going. be looking at. So there's some element of needing to surrender yourself to the camera to have a good time that I don't think a 2020 player is really inclined expect, to like, like. They're not inclined to, but also like I don't know that I would expect someone to find that normal, like to to for their instinct to be let the camera go where. Right. It, well, I mean, I feel like most of us now are expecting a cutscene to show us those things when we want. Yeah, when they yeah. want us to or, show the things. Well, or lighting or something inherently within the environment that I find myself yes. by looking with the camera. This game is definitely using its cinematography as a narrative voice, which yes. personally I love, but also I'm kind of tainted by the fact that like I am not playing this having controlled cameras in all these other games already. I already knew when I played the Bluepoint version, based on my experience with the original, that I was going to just take my hand off the camera when I'm on my horse or whatever and just expect the game to show me where oh, I'm going. Yeah. And like, it's hard to thread that needle because if you look at a game like Mario Galaxy, I don't think I've ever heard anyone complain about the camera in that game. No. That game and that is game is crazy. also a hybrid uh, is it? camera control. Yeah. You have limited camera, more limited camera control, but also the camera has an AI that will. It, automatic because it you're probably, running around spheres so it's yeah. got to yes. move itself. it probably helps that it's a smaller world quote yes. unquote in mario galaxy well, also the ai in mario galaxy's like camera is trying to help you yes like well they're both trying to help you but the one in, in mario galaxy is 100 percent focused on showing you yourself yes whereas in shadow of the colossus Less important, more about showing you where you're going. Yes. It's so very destination oriented. The other weird control thing here is the horse and why it may be surprising that Chris likes it. They designed the horse to not always listen to you. Yeah. They had to like fight the the lead developer. He was like, yeah, horses don't listen. I'm like, he doesn't have, he's never ridden a very well-trained horse. Apparently he's like, mm-hmm. horses just never go where I want them to go. Well, I mean, so I- they had to push back and forth on like how much of that to have in the game. Cause yeah. he wanted it to be a lot more. Yeah. Where you would just do things and the horse would be like, 
But he stole a That's random it. horse, and he's like, I'm going to ride this I think random horse all the way to the Forbidden Lands. I, th- I, th- I think that is his horse. I think that it is his horse, but I think what he's trying to say is that horses are not going to necessarily kill themselves. This horse will save its own life. Like, no, no, no. You can, you can trick a horse into jumping off a cliff. But you're not, the horse can't see that it's a cliff. Right. Yeah. In general, he wanted it to be like, you push this way and the horse doesn't go every time. I think they found a good enough balance. I don't know if it's a balance I enjoyed playing, but I also right. hate Why? anytime they put me on any vehicle in any game. I'm they're like, like, I don't want to do that. I think that they're so. just like, you know what? You know, director, sir, you can have your own game. We'll call it The Last Guardian and you can make this terrible beast that you want not listen to you all you want there and then you can develop a relationship with it and not listen to you eventually listens to you it's just that's the game is figuring out how to communicate with the big right and it's like eventually you're going to figure out how to communicate with your animal it's like reverse eco where you're trying to get the monster to help shepherd you through the areas but in Shadow of the Colossus, like it's it's one of the only times i've ridden a horse in a video game and felt like the horse control the way I would have expected it to. And for context, before this, I had played uh, Ocarina of Time. Because remember, Wind Waker didn't have a horse. And right. I had played mm. Dynasty another, Warriors. Another strike against Wind Waker. Where right in Dynasty <laughs> Warriors, your bonus. horse will strafe for you. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> like, the yeah. horse will move left and right like you're in a FPS. Yeah, if your horse can't grapevine, I don't want it. And I want my horse to turn on a dime. I want my horse <laughs> to, you know, have rear rear view windows and mirrors. I, you know, and let it be known that I'm pretty sure I could get my horse to grapevine at horse camp. You can. You yeah. can make your horse grapevine. Okay. These are all reasonable things. Know what the fuck that means. You just, it's like when you crisscross, crisscross like, sideways. Oh, okay, okay. You probably had to do it in gym class at some point. So, <laughs> or, or music class <laughs> when they're making you do line dancing. Oh, I see what you're saying by grapevine. Now. Yes. Okay. Like weaving your legs in front of you. Yes. So yeah, this like is like in the, the electric first slide game where I felt like, oh, this is a horse. Like this horse is a character, but also it didn't make me feel like I had no control over the horse. Like it was a nice medium for me. No, I, I, I hate. I don't know if I've ever played a horse since that I liked as much. I like Roach from Witcher oh, Three. I absolutely hate Roach. <laughs> I, hate I feel like the, the moment I touch the stick at all, Roach like barrels into a tree and like <laughs> where he's like. What is this? What is this? It's a fucking bridge, Roach. It's a bridge. <laughs> you meant like a million of them. I always use the auto it. paths in Witcher. I would just lock into that. Yeah. yeah. So, That's why he's the best. Which is what horses but do. The auto paths time. don't always take you to your quest objective because sometimes the oh. fastest path is on a crunch country road. Yeah, I don't like that. Well, they're all country. I, again, I don't like vehicles in general. So here's what I'll say about Agro. I did not like riding him, but goddamn, that horse came when I called him. And he showed back up no matter where I was. And I've never met a more loyal horse. I like yeah. Agro is the loyalist of horses. Most loyal. Agro nope. even I'm has change grammar. complexities <laughs> to him that the game never requires you to explore. Like Agro will run away in fear if you're pointing your bow at him or if like he's in danger from a colossus. Well, that comes up. Uh, Agro can line himself up. So if you can jump off of a colossus and land on him. Yes. I almost never board aggro correctly. I usually jump at aggro mm-hmm. and then push the closed fist button, which means <laughs> grab onto whatever. Just grabbing his fur or his, his yeah. fur on the side of you his can, like paunch. And you're just like, he's like, I'm not, I'm not meant to be grabbed there, sir. <laughs> you can, uh, there's like, you can kind of tell that like they, this is like a Mario 64 situation where they built all of the mechanics before the levels or yes. bosses. Yeah. Because 
you can uh you can like do a Metal Gear Solid Five esque hang off the side of aggro so you can stealth across like the ground so uh, someone can't see you. That's cool. You can side saddle. You can stand on aggro and then do a moonsault off of him. Which you know you what's can a moonsault? I don't know. That's what the game calls it. But you jump and then you do like a really elongated flip in the air, like a front flip. I think it's a front flip. It's like a side flip. And like you can an call cartwheel? it that because you do like like an aerial. Your yes, but your and your body. I think they call it that because your body forms like a crescent. You kind of look like a fish as you're jumping. So like you bend, you curve. It is, it's like a somersault, but you're not tucked in. Your body is like so a it fish. is forward. It is yeah, forward. and you're not on yeah. the ground. Okay. you're not on. And- <laughs> I see. I see. Did you know you can jump off of aggro and catch a hawk and fly on the hawk? Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Why? Who knows? <laughs> well, I, I actually I wanted to touch on that later after uh-huh. we, we will, go over the we story, will. just because I think there's some uh-huh. really cool. Uh, oh, but the a most cool- important control thing, though, we keep alluding to this, is, um, is grabbing. Yes, <laughs> like there is a button for holding on to surfaces, and that is probably the most important button in the game. Yes, right? because the so we can get to the colossi then. Because the colossi again are giant. Most like of if them. you if you couldn't tell from the name of these monsters, um, they are colossal. So your your whole goal in defeating them is figuring out how to climb them, find their weak point, and stab it enough times until they die. Okay. Enter one of Lindsay's points of contention. This game is kind of built as a puzzle game. I, I mean action adventure, but also puzzly, very Zelda style. Yeah. I don't think the puzzles are very puzzly. Normally it's like, okay, the puzzle is figure out how to get onto this Colossus. And your shiny sword that points you to where they are also points to weak spots that glow on their bodies. Right. So then you have to figure out how to get on them, which may be luring them to a certain spot on their like arena in the map or... Like, Getting them to like interact with something in the environment. Yes, yes. And then you get on them and then you just kind of walk to the first glowy point and stab it with yes. your sword. Once you get on the Colossus... For most of them, you have solved the puzzle. Yes. For most of them. And then the puzzle is, how long do I wait? Well, it's not a puzzle. It's just... I know. That's how... That's the, the point. <laughs> that's like the, the hardship of, of once you get on the Colossus is that they try to buck you off and you have to gra- hold on and hope that you don't lose so much stamina that you will be bucked off. It's Yeah, you got some grip strength management that you need to do, similar to Celeste. Right. And so there is some amount of... How I would much say similar a, to Breath of the Wild. Breath of the Wild, yes. too. Which I is mean, so bizarre because I loved the way stamina and climbing worked in Breath of the Wild, but I hate it. I think it's in because this. in Breath of the Wild, most of your decision making is like casing a cliff mm-hmm. and being like, what's the best route to take? Where can mm-hmm. I rest? And then once you start climbing, it's very gentle. Like it's just a matter of looking at your stamina and like being like, did I mess up? Did I choose the right route? Right. In Shadow of the Colossus, the the, the decision-making you're making when you're on a Colossus is how much of a risk am I going to take to save my stamina? Um, because at any point, the Colossus might start to drain my stamina. And I think what Lindsay's referring to here by waiting is that once a Colossus starts shaking, you are simply waiting by holding R1 for it to stop shaking. There's no like decision to make there. You are just watching yourself be... Flung around helplessly yes. as you wait Which for Which is the to central end. mechanic. They worked, like I was reading about it, and they worked so hard on getting 
the physics right for how these colossi shake and how mm. that affects you. And I'm just like, this is my least favorite aspect of this game yeah. is, oh, they're shaking, so I can't move or stand or do anything. Well, you can. The well, important thing is- I am to- not a risk taker, Chris. Right. So that's kind of the thing. If you play this game as safe as you can, which I don't know why you wouldn't, like if, if you're not playing for time, you may not like care. Right. The safest thing often is to just sit and wait for them to stop shaking. The decision making comes more in, are you going to risk running on a standable surface while they're shaking and then jump to like where you want to go? Like, are you going to take risks? Because time- uh, is kind of the only, like, score there is. Like, that's the only incentive to, like, do something out of the norm when you're on a Colossus is if you want to beat your time, which is not really a thing that happens in the main story. It's more something that happens if you do the boss rush. Like the meta. Or if yeah. you, you, the player, are like, I can't play this for much longer. Um, my, my patience is being <laughs> yeah, tried. Yeah. I'm done with you, Colossus. So then let's talk about the class I a little. There are 16, but we're not going to break every one of them down. Mm -hmm. Unlike what I did in the game. They are primarily animals or some kind of humanoid. Right. But they're all made out of stone. So they're like stone golems almost. Yeah. Yeah. Stone, fur, grassy. I I think that it's implied that there's some fleshy substance under the stone and the fur and the grass. But the game does not make it clear what that is. Just that it is stabbable. And there is some kind of blood-esque substance black inside goop. of it. Yeah. But I think right. the black goop is the essence you're trying to free. Yes. And there, I guess the, all we know is that it is squishy. Like, it is something organic. Well, I mean, the rock and stuff is organic, too. But, like, it's something that's kind of, like, more akin to what you would find on an animal. It's like hollow inside. Of, and so, Or, like, not hollow, but it's not stone all the way through. Yeah. Right. I think that the... the first line of dialogue about like the forbidden lands implies that these are some sort of vessel for something so they are probably hollow they might be made of flesh you don't really know but they are keeping something inside of them and 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 worth pointing out too that like you know we talk about how they're kind of made of shadow and and all of this and when you when you kill them like the shadow comes out and you're you're doing it with your light sword and well, you defeat a colossus. Oh, sorry. Well, not, it's not just that you can stab them anywhere. You, they have these glowing yes. light points, points of like runic energy that yes. shine. Those from are the them. points that your sword. And is it's almost like a seal on them. It is a seal. And my my interpretation is that all of these seals need to be broken with your sword, which seems to be yeah. welcoming darkness, like like breaking down light. And you, when you break the seal, when you kill the Colossus at the end of like every Colossus fight, a gush of black miasmic energy like erupts from them. And then after a little bit, that energy like channels itself into almost tendrils or arms that reach out and they latch onto you and like drive into your soul. It's almost like, so, and another thing that happens when you kill a Colossus is that their corpse emits a beam of light that goes into the sky, which you travel. The game kind of shows you traveling up that beam to get back to the temple. So there's definitely- Although you're unconscious normally. You're unconscious from most of, yeah. It's kind of a surprise when you realize that that's what's happening. Yeah, because you- Kill it, and then you it kind of shows you pass out while this darkness I don't know congeals around you, yeah. and i and I feel like what Sterling's saying makes a lot of sense to me because it's almost like the sword is made of light and or like seeks light. And the sword is pointing at these things that are maybe sealing light in to these mm-hmm. colossi. 
And by breaking the seal, you are letting the light out. But then that shadowy goop has to go somewhere and it's not being sealed anymore. So it conglomerates around you instead. And that light afterward is freely flowing up into the sky. Mm. So there is a lot of like subversion happening there. Well, not subversion. It's it's kind of playing into your expectations because you think that you're doing a good thing by releasing light. Every time. Yeah. yeah. And every time you get hit with those big black tendrils, you wake up and your grip strength has increased. So, you know, you are being told through game mechanics yeah. that, hey. Through power progression. Yeah, yeah. That you are getting better, that this is like making you as a player more capable. One of many things that reminded me a lot of Princess Mononoke, uh, because in Mononoke, the character, he's like this amazing archer on horseback. Yeah, now we're going to have to watch it. But the thing that makes him really good with that sword is uh, he has a demon (laughs) controlling his arm. Like he, there is a dark force that envelops his arm and makes him stronger. Yeah. And that's a very like... You don't notice it at first in, in Shadow of the Colossus, but as you kill more and more colossi, the effect of the shadow becomes more obvious on your character. Yeah, you become grungier and dirtier, and like your your face becomes pale. You do a uh, pale, Star Wars see, Knights of the Old Republic situation. Yeah, you yeah. You're going to the dark side. As your face becomes more pale, you get darker and darker veins and tendrils that show up on your skin. And then eventually at the fun finale, after you beat the 16th one, you have horns. So the other interesting thing about the Colossi then is that, like I think now could be a good time to talk about the question of if they're sentient or not, because the way that they react when they see you is yes. different too. And it's something that the game does in the very first battle. It shows the Colossus, look at you, and then say, I don't need this bullshit, and walk away. (laughs) It just ignores you. It's also important, like, the first battle establishes you as a predator Mm -hmm. because it does not engage with you. Some of the Colossus are assholes. Colossus And I felt good killing them, and they're terrible. Is it like the horse? But some of the times... Uh, Well, he's... I don't even know, honestly. The horse is just running and it's terrible and I hate it. I, I don't understand you but guys. The one thing, like like you are as Chris was saying, you are established as a predator. You're like a wasp. Tiny, oh, no. terrible, and just like a, a ball of But that is what we rage. are. You're you like, are you got a little needle. You got a little needle and you're just people and poking them until they die. Letting their blood out. I mean, Yikes. really, there's only one Oh my god, and you're taking their blood into your body. You are like <laughs> a mosquito. You're just you're a vermin. That's what that's what Wander is. He's just a pest. And again, you go and you tackle all these things. And sometimes with the very first one, he looks at you and he keeps on walking. You're like, is there anything up there? Is he thinking? Is that anything going on up there? But there are times, uh, I don't remember what number it is, but the smallest Colossus is like a little yeah, tiger-like he's thing. Of fire. He's afraid of fire. And so you need to get Poor a torch and like scare him using the torch. You walk which, him off a cliff to break his armor. Yeah, really cool. And it, sound, it kind of leans into mm-hmm. the whole notion that uh, the developer of the game really wanted to have more Colossi that really leaned into more of the mechanics that yeah. they had. But, you know, it's th- that instance right there shows that they have at least some base emotion. Yeah. Fear or... I, I liken them almost to zombies. Like, I, I think oh, that the Colossi are, like, some remnant of an idea because they are, like, part of a living thing, which we'll get into, but the Colossi have some aspect of the old world still attached to them because they have, like, hunting grounds. Like, not hunting grounds, but, like, stomping grounds where they have decided they live 
A lot of them can leave. They have domains. Yeah. I like stomping grounds just because they're so huge. (laughs) And like one of the colossi, like it'll try to hunt you. The big bird of prey Mm -hmm. will hunt you like a rat. Uh, One of them, uh, if you hide, it has curiosity. Like it will go and look for you. It'll be like, "Mm, where did he go? And like look around. And he's not like looking around like he's putting his hand into a crevice to try to get you. It just wants to see like what you're doing. And then you grab his yes. beard and stab him in the ache in the, <laughs> in the <laughs> eyes or whatever. But like the Colossi have motivations that may not really make sense now, but clearly like link to something that as humans that we like. Like ghosts. We know of. Yeah. How people are like, ghosts aren't spirits stuck here. They're just echoes of things that. Yeah. They feel like echo. <laughs> and, and speaking of echoes, like the, the, the Colossi live in remnants of human civilization. Almost all of them are around man-made or yes. or objects. There are definitely ancient civilization structures that have gone to ruins and collapsed. And I wonder too, if the light magic pinning in the, the shadows is a part of that. Like maybe yeah. the light is taken from life forms or I, life energy. And maybe that's why the, whoa, maybe that's why the area is more of a wasteland is because like the life force of that area is the magic that was keeping the shadow it trapped. Is you think it, maybe it's like a ley line that was twisted around the darkness that eventually. Yeah. I kind of get the sense that it's, it's possible they did in fact worship Dormin at some point and they paid a price for doing that. Yeah. And these colossus, the colossi looking like elements of nature might be humanity's atonement for destroying it because be. we don't know why it's a wasteland now. It may not even be because of Dorman. It might have been because of humanity doing terrible things Could in be. the name of him. I think Lindsay has some thoughts on that later when we finish up the story. Yeah. Um, I do. About, well, no. Oh, I have about Dorman. Old civilization, yeah. like an, as some examples of what you see, you see temples. You see an arena, which I thought was yeah. uh, not just an arena. Well, there's two. There's mm-hmm. an arena of sand where a sand snake lives, one of my favorite bosses. And there is a coliseum where the spider lives. Right. And like it is very much like when I say coliseum, like it is for sure looking down at a little battleground where presumably some violence was happening. Yeah. And uh, I'm trying to think of other. There's like a, a ruin of a city where one of the colossi, like it loves destruction and the way you defeat it is by getting it to de- further destroy the city. Mm-hmm. And finally, of course, the the last colossus is just a like dude. A, yeah, yeah. It's like a, a like Giant, a wise man, super or big. And yeah. I, I think this kind of starts playing into like the last cutscenes that really matter in the game. Um, oh, just to cap it off, though, I think that the way that the colossi behave is meant to make you feel bad about killing them. Mm-hmm. I think that concept of sentience and they don't always attack and you have to trick them into fighting you sometimes you're meant to feel a little bad, like killing an animal almost. I think the level of sentience they're shown to have is like an animal where it's supposed to inspire guilt of some kind. Yes. So yeah. So before you get to the end though, what there is a cutscene in the middle, uh, well, which makes gonna, a big reveal. I was going to do the one right before the final Colossus, which is, is where, that the one you're talking about? Um, there's one where they show you the shaman leaving the, yes. like, coming down the, yes. towards. So, yes. The, yeah. That is technically after Colossus 12. Oh. And you see, uh, Amon and five of the, fo- his followers traveling through the forest. Which like, again, similar. Amon is. Amon is the shaman. There's but, a reveal here. Amon is wearing a mask. Which the, is the mask that you saw at the beginning. Exactly. And the s- mask that told you the, the story. And that this is a forbidden land and that the souls can be 
re-grabbed here by Dorman. And, you know, they're out there and he's like, all right, only a little way to go. And then shortly after that, right before you fight the final boss, you're riding uh, aggro across a bridge (laughs) and the bridge starts falling apart. And right as you're about to get to the end of the bridge, it starts Mm. collapsing from the other side. Aggro bucks you on into safety, but he ends up falling with the bridge into... Can I tell you what my experience was with that part? Um, Because, you know, I like to do things I'm not supposed to do in video games. I didn't see that there was actually a little horse icon, just in case you didn't get it, that tells you that you need to ride your horse across this bridge. If you cross this bridge on foot, you will die. You can't make it across. So I didn't know. So I was making my way to the final Colossus. I feel like I'm just like. Uh, the, the the person like the most predictable person to Fumito Ueda <laughs> and like I'm the person they made this game for because I saw the bridge and I'm like fuck it I'm taking my horse with me Agro is gonna be with me to the end I don't care if yeah. they intended for me to bring him across I I didn't think at the time like how would they unintentionally let you bring a horse somewhere? right um and I rode him across the bridge and I thought I was like subverting something about the game oh and then Agro bucked me off and for a while I was like I killed Agro yeah he Very didn't dark. need to like fall down there. The as ultimate dark. As soon as you beat the uh, final 16th Colossus, you get another cutscene of Amon, the shaman, who has finally arrived at the bridge where uh, Wander crosses at the beginning of the game. And so they are at the uh, shrine at the center of the game, in the center of the world. Where now. Mono's dead body is still just chilling. Yeah. And they get there and they see all of the 15 statues crumbled representing 15 seals being broken because every time you break one you go back to the temple you see that statue crumble crumble which kind of implies it might be the statue is the ultimate seal statues are but i think they are linked to Mm. um that because dorman does say you can't break these statues with your own hands you're going to have to beat the colossi to the colossi like the phylacteries for the statue yeah exactly Um, so anyways, Amon and his followers uh, get down to the bottom of this temple where, you know, your hub is and see Mono there. They're looking at her. They hear the statue crumble behind you and you show up like thwack right in the middle of the floor like you've always shown up. And this time you're like pale, you're disgusting, you're grungy, you're dirty. You have horns sprouting out of your head and Amon is disgusted with you. Amon, I think Amon looks at the state of your body and immediately knows what happened. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And he is not... Because, like, like, his whole religion probably prepared him for this yeah, moment. Yes. He's full-on disappointed dad mode. He's I, like, yeah, he, he says, I don't believe this. It was you after all. <laughs> Have you any idea what you've done? Not only did you steal the sword and trespass upon this cursed land, you used the forbidden spell as well. Yeah, I get the feeling that he he was like, oh, the sword's missing. Someone would only yeah. take the sword one place and every, saw every that... step of the journey, he's like... This is definitely happening. I know. Well, he saw that Wander was missing and yeah. was like, shit, 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 Mono, shit, the shit, girl, shit, The dead shit, girl's missing. Did we bury yeah. Mono? I don't know. Did, <laughs> did she have a grave? Let's go find the grave. Oh, there's a hole. Like, <laughs> I imagine it's so obvious and all of the warriors he brought with him are like, oh yeah, it's Wander. But in his head- where Mono's ashes are? Yeah. In his head, he's like, it's got to be someone else. It's got to be someone else. And then he sees Wander there and he's like, oh, God I damn it. I kind of imagine like a Catholic priest- like sees his, his daughter with like a Ouija board. He's like, don't play with the Ouija board. <laughs> Throw it away. I have to go to work. This better not be here when I get back. Come home. He, he like comes home and like, it's like a Her dark and stormy night. It's like and on he, fire. He like, he shows up at like a light, like a light post 
Now it's just the omen. Yeah, he pulls up at the light post and gets on. He's like, oh, no. (laughs) And then he walks in and she's on the ceiling and he's like, I knew this was happening. (laughs) Yes, that is exactly Shadow of the Colossus. Yeah, and and I think that's an apt analogy because Amon is a shaman and he is wearing similar clothes to Wander. So I think Mm. that shamans in this their religion are warriors, but they're also like keepers of you know, the religious secrets, which is why Wanda ended up taking the sword so easily, presumably, taking it to here, knowing a spell that resurrects yeah. the dead. And and you and I want to point out, too, that, like, we know he's a shaman and, like, he's, like, this religious leader. And when he shows up, he's dressed differently from the guards who are wearing, like, armor. Right. Yeah. He's wearing just robes and the mask that you see at the beginning. Has, like, an owl-like feature to it i guess like sure kind of, i like yes. owls i'll buy yeah. that it, it's wood too it's wood and it just kind of reminds me of like an owl which gives me like the feeling of wisdom and age like beyond their years um so and also say, animal worship yes which Ooh, yeah that's what the colossi are yeah i think this point in the game was the peak of the game for me like this was the payoff that i was looking for the payoff is great i like it a lot but like hell you're gonna get me to sit through all that garbage and play gameplay again well yeah so again like the payoff's super cool let's get to the yeah let's get (laughs) stories like we'll never learn the payoff because this is what it (laughs) feels like to to play this game (laughs) so amon is disgusted and he sees that wander is dripping with evil so he orders his guards eradicate it eradicate the evil and one yeah, of the he's guards, really quick to be like yeah he's no like coming I'm back not, from this he's like yeah. i am she not think he knows they're already almost too late yeah he's like yeah. i am not messing around with this do we really want to resurrect a god like this is yeah. not something they, they get there just as the last statue crumbles which must suck yes to and realize yes that. and so again eradicate the evil he, he yells at them and one of the guards shoots wander in the leg with an arrow and nothing really unusual happens but if you look closely the blood is black mm-hmm. and then uh, which, he falls which and looks tries like sh- what came out of the colossi when you stabbed them a little bit but that's more that's made more apparent when uh, wander falls struggles and one of the guards comes over and stabs him through the heart while he's like struggling Ooh, and i liked this because so the whole way that you stab the colossi the whole game is almost like on your knees stabbing straight down is kind of the vibe like as if you're kneeling and stabbing into the ground like execution style i don't i think you take people's heads off execution style well, i mean you could also just stab them through the heart or like no yeah it's, it's execution style. is that really yeah oh i was the like, execution style was they kneel and you stab well them. i mean no but what i mean is like the way they do it i think what sterling is saying by execution style is they're saying like let's leave no ambiguity about oh oh him. i mean D&D i'm talking execution style. This, this isn't like combat this is like coup de gras this yeah i was yes i was i'm just so the way it is is like normally the cloth the target on the cloth is kind of flat you kneel raise your hand above your head and stab straight down which isn't a normal combat move yeah you know and now at the end Wander falls and this knight or warrior is in a kind of half kneeling position and does the same move where he lifts his sword straight above his head and stabs straight down into you, just like you've been stabbing all of the Colossi. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and Amon tells you before, as the sword's coming down, you were only being used, and as you get stabbed through the chest, big black miasmic spouts of blood just burst from you. They pulsate, like, out of you. And, you know, Amon seeing this and realizes you've been possessed by mm-hmm. dead spirits or something. You, whatever it is, it's not good. Probably he knows what it is, and he says, just, just 
kill him, kill him, kill him. But you stand up with all of your dead energy and... What did you guys do when you got to this point? And he, your character isn't still part of the cutscene, and so he. Well, you be you become a yeah. big you become the Colossus, Colossus yes. without any fur or. Yes, rock this is the payoff. This is, and then I, I just kind of hung out. I was like, yeah. oh, I'm the Colossus now. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't kill any of the guards. No. Well, actually, I don't think you can kill the guards. No. You can blow some fire, or like you blow fire. Yeah. Well, I that's think cool. Right before that, right before you become the giant colossus, you stagger over to Mono and like caress her face a little and touch her, and then like pull the sword out of you, and then you start staggering away. And as you're doing that, that's when the big pulse of black oh, okay. grossness envelops you. And Amon looks and like kind of motions someone to go get the sword and you become the giant horned shadow beast. And this is, I mean, this scene that we're talking about was when I was like, yeah, this game is great. Like this was where poetry was happening for me yeah. and like, like payoff. Cause I like, cause up to this point, nothing about the premise has changed for you. Yes. So the narrative movement is entirely for the player and how they feel more than anything specifically in the game. Yes. But and this had that, like, you, the camera, suddenly you fill the camera, right? We talked yeah. earlier about... It's the opposite now. Yes. Yeah. That that feeling of, okay, where am I in this stupid camera? But now, like, can't miss yourself. Like, and you can't see anything else because you're hard, huge. Yeah, it's actually and, hard and, to see and where you're going. And you're looking for all these little ant-like things trying to hit them, and they're hard to see, they're hard to hit. Yeah. And uh, while you're giant, you, as Dorman speak without the female voice this time uh anymore is it Whoa, without the I female voice? yeah the female voice is completely absent when you're when you're big do you think that's like dorman putting on an like an affect or something like that when he's talking to you at the beginning then if that voice goes away i don't know or is or, it or is it that he's possessed your body or did he, that part of dorman just enter mono, mono i think and he's like that's how i'm gonna that's how i bring people back i just possess them I don't know. I feel like if his goal is to be reincarnated yeah. or like get his physical form again, split himself. Yeah. He's like, yeah, I'm not going to be split anymore except for this one piece. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, uh, Dorman acknowledges what we've been talking about this whole time and says, thou severed our body into 16 segments for an, in, in, for an eternity in order to seal away our power. We Dorman have arisen anew. At which point, Amon states the obvious and says, he's been resurrected. <laughs> um, Guys, we fucked up. Norman's like, we have borrowed the body of this warrior and then starts like pounding. Do you, do you guys think that... So can't, you can't like, kill the guards. Like you can't fuck shit up or anything. You just kind of move around and get the feel. permanently kill them. You can, you can like knock them down. seriously injure them. I just kind of wiggled. Like all into the wall. I just kind of wiggled around. I was like, oh. It's, it's actually legitimately hard to hit any individual guard Kind of like being the Colossus. Tiny. Yeah, they're so small. But like, do you guys think like, Eamon is like looking at the fact this guy got resurrected and then thinking about like, because remember, they got there right when the last Colossus was destroyed. Right. And like, he's thinking about like, taking like an extra pee break, like on the way. <laughs> like, thinking about like, one of the, one of the soldiers is like, can we just rest for like a little longer? Yes. My foot hurts. He's like, I know yes. you said not to eat the berries, but I ate them and I need <laughs> to stop right now. Or like one of them's like, can I stop and say bye to my wife? I, I kind of like oh. need to. <laughs> so as you're giant and breathing fire and beating the crap out of these guys, 
Amon shouts to everybody, place the seal over the entire shrine before it's too late. Of course, it's all gibberish, though. So they run and they try and leave through the giant spiraling corkscrew up across the bridge. And before they cross the bridge, Amon stands at the top, says, you know, ready my horse and screams, be gone, foul beast, and throws the sword into... Presumably he did a lot of important ritual stuff before that. Yeah. No, it was just eating the sword. That's it. You know, I like to sometimes think of this as maybe... You know, in 300, how somebody is just retelling yeah, like yeah. everything. I imagine that the guy that's retelling this story, the mythos of all of this, is like, I'm not going to tell you like the exact words which sealed yeah. away Dorman, but like he took this sword and said, <laughs> be gone, vile beast, and threw it down a giant hole and it landed in a puddle you know, and the puddle like erupted into a beacon I'm, of light and it so sucked I'm, Dorman I'm back in. I'm glad you bring that up because remember, at the very beginning, when you see Amon's face talking to you, He's talking to the screen. We don't actually know if he's telling this to Wander. Yeah. So it could it could very well be like him telling you the story of a of a kid who like it's a bad story though. This is like a How I something. Met Your Mother story where well, he's he doesn't like, know I'm going to tell you that. how I met your mother, and instead he tells you about and all of his escapades. And then he grabbed yeah. the bird. Why though? I don't know. And instead it's like, and then he fell off, and then he tried to get <laughs> back on. And he got almost there, but then he fell off again. But uh, but then that means that his knowledge of the story ends with them killing the kid. Right. He runs away because, and then, like I think you're about to say, he as he's riding away and the bridge is collapsing. Yeah. And see, as he seals Dorman away and the the bridge starts collapsing and they're riding their asses off across it. And it's, you know, cool movie scene. They're running. The things are falling behind them. And it's a close call. They finally get to the other side and they look back and they've run like, who knows, like mile, a mile or so across the bridge. And they look across from the top of the so, plateau and see the crumbled yeah. bridge. So, and before like that scene finishes, the sword drops, oh, yeah, the, pool is, the pool is, there's a pool of water and you slash Dorman, Wander slash Dorman, are trying are being pulled towards yeah. this, and you have control over yourself. Yeah, yeah, and so yeah, you can like try to push against it and resist you it. You can make it to Mono. Can you really? Yes. Sterling it's said there's an you, achievement you, you if you a, resist for one minute. Yeah, yeah. You, you got a trophy for it. Um, if you resist it for a while, it's very glitchy but, if you do it. No, yeah. I would like did it three times, and I was like, all right, I know where this hard. is going. Yeah. <laughs> and so, anyways, beacon of light comes from the pool where the sword fell in, and it pulls away all the shadow enveloping you, and Dorman gets sucked away, and you as the little ant that he possessed has is there like tumbling like a rag doll trying to fight back against the inevitable yeah. i think you're still somewhat possessed i think yeah. it's stripping you away and like yeah. it's stripping dorman away in pieces but i think the implication is that you and dorman were intrinsically yeah. linked i there think was, at this point you are a dead body being inhabited yes. and so as this pool is pulling you in it's actually also pulling what is remaining of your life because your life only exists because of Dorman yes. at this point. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And it does eventually suck you in as well. And they notably do not show you your body at that point. Then it cuts away and shows yes. the guy running yeah. away. It cuts away as you get sucked back into the pool for the last time. Yeah. You can actually grab onto the ridge on the pool and try to Just hold. hang. And I think that's interesting because this is essentially the same narrative technique that's happening when a colossus is shaking you and you're helpless but I feel like it worked better for you guys here because you know exactly why you're looking at this, why you have this brief control, even though it does nothing. Yes. Whereas with the Colossi, it's like 
you're in play mode almost, and you're expecting to be doing more at that time. I think in the, in the classes too. And there's so much of it. Yes. It's that there's so much of it. Like I understand what it's telling me when I fight the class. I, it's, it's com- conveying the scale and the helplessness yeah. and that the best thing I can hope to do against this is hang on. And that's cool. It's less cool the 16th time. I, I feel like it's fair to say that if someone were to make this idea today, they would probably be significantly less game to it. I shouldn't say game to it. I should like less content. Like they, I feel like they would be more if, comfortable putting less in the game. If you were like, all right, Lindsay, do this ground up when you can change the mechanics. I would make each Colossus more puzzly and that's it. Like you don't have to do as much of the climbing mm-hmm. or you do. Or it's like one stab kills it. Yeah, or you do, and the climbing is more like Breath of the Wild style, where you have to find mm-hmm. a path. You have to navigate a path. It's not just about, okay, walk, now wait, now walk, now wait, where there's there's a little more interactiveness. I like the one where yeah. you use the fire to make it jump. Like, like in, in my case, like I don't mind the amount of waiting on the Colossi, but I feel like if it were me, this is a weird thing for me to say, like if, okay, if I were Weta making this game in 2020, because he talks about how he felt pressure to make sure this was like a real gamey game. game. Okay. And I feel like in 2020, someone making this game would feel more confident saying, it's okay. Like we can have even fewer hours yes. of play. You can just yeah. walk from one room to another and that's a game. And like, yeah, yeah. And then people can appreciate that yeah. today. And I think that maybe there would be more brevity and more, it would be a little bit of a denser game. Yeah, I think the expectations of what a game is has changed drastically since 2005, which yeah. is why things like Gone Home or Life is Strange or things like that have received yes. such acclaim because... Although the other side of it too, though, this is still a Sony internal game with like an expectation of a big budget, which we know that like it's still a thing to cram your game full of filler yeah. yes. for a, like a triple A game. Yes. Right, triple A games. just played the Final Fantasy VII remake. And loved it. <laughs> yeah, I but you would it. say that there was like a there's lot of filler. stuff. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's things that you know are there to pad the time. Like, yes. like there's expectation that it'd be there. Yes. But back to the final finale of the story, or did you? Have well, I first? don't know. Now might be a good time to pause and talk about Dorman before we get to the next part. I think so. Okay. Yeah, because that's going to play into so. your argument yes. for what happens. Next. A little bit. Okay. Yeah. I so I looked up just like stuff about Dorman and the two things people pointed out one was that it's similar to the roots of sleep. Yeah, for sure. So like it is dorm dorm yeah. and is sleep. Yes. Yeah. And specifically there's like a Greek way where you make it for like third person and plural. It means like they sleep. Yeah, and it's but it's which is interesting because Dorman refers to itself as we and in the plural. Yeah. And stuff like that. So I think that plays into it. And he's been like asleep and trapped. And that's interesting. The other interesting thing is that it's Nimrod backwards. Nimrod, the hunter. hunter. Yes. Yeah. Which before you get into that, I just yeah. have to, I have to say, because this, this plagued me for so long. Bugs Bunny. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Bugs Bunny. Bugs Bunny called Elmer Fudd a Nimrod back in like the early Looney Tunes cartoons. And because of that... And a lack of education. Oh, is that many, why? It's... Many people thought Nimrod was an insult when he was referring to Elmer Fudd in like a sarcastic, like, oh, look at Nimrod over here. And so people didn't understand that Nimrod was actually a biblical fan- a hunter, one of like fantastic acclaim. That's interesting. So people starting from Looney Tunes started referring to Nimrods as like a dope. 
I didn't know that came from Looney Tunes. Well, that that misconception did. That's so interesting, dude. So anyways, I now that I've... Okay, you know, so he's not... That, so yes, famous hunter, but also biblically some things that are like a different Abrahamic religion cite him as the person who built the Tower of Babel, which I think is interesting considering he's trapped in a huge giant tower in and, this game. And split into There's many parts. Well, and also... Hubris, yes. hubristic. I don't know what I was going to say. I, I feel like there is that Ozymandias-esque exploration of humanity, like their greatest achievements being turned to rubble. Yes. And like that is what the Tower of Babel is too. And Nimrod also like went against God and became like polytheistic and like the enemy and ends up being killed and split into many pieces and his parts are scattered around. Wow. Which, oh, also humanity gets splintered when they yes. kill the Tower of Babel. Tower of Babel. Yeah. So I feel like that's like very on brand because yeah. Nimrod was, or from bleh, other way, not Nimrod. Dorman. Dorman. I can't flip it. I got to go back and forth. He was also split and sealed across this land where again, like Tower of Babel, great things were built and fell apart and presumably that, society was split. I'm glad you bring that up because yeah. now that makes me think that the society that Wanda comes from might be much simpler and like fresher than the society that is in ruins. That's how like, I read it. They may it. not have made it to coliseums and like aqueducts and things like that. That the the mask also made me interpret it that way. That this yeah. wooden almost like very like tribalistic point. almost. Yes. And referencing Rome, yeah, I think is like kind of a big teller too. Yes. So I just I, I mean I don't think that adds a time. I just thought it was super interesting. No, I think it does add something because it, it directly links the existence of Dorman to a place where humanity's hubris may have yes. destroyed it. Yes. Definitely this reaching for power and then becoming misguided with the power yeah. and then having to be split apart into pieces. And and arguably embarking on this quest at all as Wander is a huge act of hubris. Yes. Right? Yes. So now that you know he's been stripped away from Wander. Yeah, so so Wander gets sucked into the pool of light. It flashes one more time, and then all goes quiet. The camera pans over across the giant chapel to the beer which Mano is resting upon. I think important before that is the shaman's last words. That happens after. Oh, okay. Technically, okay. but I'll, cool. I'll, I'll go over no, it. No, no, no. I mean, you can do it in order. I just think they're important. So, I, yeah, I do think they're important. And the camera, again, shifts back to the altar. Mano stirs. She wakes up and she looks around by herself in this room with a bunch of ruined idols and is quiet. Wind blows, you know, her dress flutters in the breeze and Agro limps his way up into the shrine. That's right. The Our best, boy's back. That's part of the ending. Best boy. Yes. <laughs> like his, his back leg, one of his back legs is clearly broken, but he's limping up and comes to Mono. And that horse. Looks I, at her. I've never seen a horse in real life hobble around on three legs. It's not nice. You I feel like that it. horse and, and that Mono horse, together represent how little um, Wanda cares about anybody other than yes, herself. So I agree. At that point, she pets Agro and the credits roll, at which point we get this nice montage of all the Colossi now, they're dead, they're grown over. Yeah, which you can see in the game. You yeah. can go back to their corpses and see that they are turning, slowly turning into nature Back again. into Earth. And as you get to the 16th Colossi in this mon montage, the slideshow of dead Colossi, it cuts back to Amon, who says, Poor ungodly soul, now no man shall ever trespass upon this place again. 
Should you be alive, if it's even possible to continue to exist in these sealed lands, one day, perhaps you will make atonement for what you've done. I forgot that he asks aloud, is it even possible to exist? Yeah, I'd forgotten that too. And okay. so this sells me more. Yeah, I don't I don't always remember why I think something when I see it. <laughs> but now I'm like, okay, that would be one. And, and and so that is really the last line of dialogue in the game, but it's not the last scene because we cut back to Mano and she walks to the pool of water that Agro uh, not Agro Wander was sucked into. Yeah, but Agro's Agro's living leading her there. Agro is leading her the pool. Yeah. He leads her everywhere because he is the world's greatest horse. And, and that pool is how you get up yes, steps. Yes, yes. And, and Mono looks into the pool, which is now empty, and sees a naked babe with two horns coming from its head. You know, she looks at it, picks she it up. She says, I am a woman. I guess this must be my baby. And she, I am his mom now. She picks yeah. it up and starts climbing the tower. And Lindsay rolls her eyes. <laughs> yeah. And she climbs the tower and they get up to the top. You know, it's a long cut scene of them walking to the top of this this tower. And at the very top, there is a garden. And, and Agro has led Mono to this garden. Inside, you see a fawn, a baby deer, peek its head out and approach Mono and the uh, and the baby horned demon quick, thing. Quick question, by the way, to make sure the audience has this image. Mm. When they get to the pool, which had drawn darkness of uh, of doormen into it, there's no water in the pool. Right, no water. Yeah, that baby is. But there had been still water in that Correct. pool, which yeah. means I feel like that implies that baby is that pool now. Yeah, that all yeah, of that, all of that, that baby, all of that magic concentrated. Oh, I was just going to say that baby really needed a pee. Well, all, <laughs> but also like that baby, like there's there is no obvious indication of where Dorman went other than the baby. Yes, I think the baby is like the new Colossus. For like for one thing, that is true, but also it it kind of implies to me that hum- humans, like from this day forward, may continue to commit acts of like hubris and overreaching and trying to become like masters of their universe because they are c- carrying this blood of Dorman in them. Yeah. I so also might me why Dorman sounds like everybody at once. Like there's oh, some yeah. connection all of Dorman of with all of humanity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think so this is this is where we get to the part where I was not as yeah. satisfied. Although Chris you've sold me a little more on like your pitch of it. So what happens when she goes up the steps? Well, we did. We've, she, she found the garden. Uh-huh. She found a deer. That's like that's it. I just I think it's funny that you said the new Colossus, especially with <laughs> certain, certain people. Well, no, no, not Wolfenstein. Um, it's it's just because of some people's interpretation of this is is, is and what happens after the that game. Wander is the last Horcrux. Well, no, the, the new Colossus <laughs> is, a poem, is a poem by Emma Lazarus, which is on the base of the Statue of Liberty. And it's like, oh, you know, I give me my that. ear. Your, I didn't know that's what, oh, I did know that's what it was called. And give me your tired and your poor yeah, that, old masses. Yeah, that one. Oh, I did not know that. Oh, that's why Wolfenstein is called that. I'm so ignorant. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so I, I, I just think it's interesting that you got, you called him the new Colossus because oh. if you are going to take an interpretation, which I think we're going to touch upon, you know, maybe this is the start of something can, new. Can I read this poem? It's short. Yeah. So yeah. Can I read it? Yeah. Okay. Not like the brazen giant of Greek fame with conquering limbs astride from land to land, a mighty woman with a torch whose flame is the imprisoned lightning and her name, mother of exiles, from her beacon hand glows worldwide welcome. Her mild eyes command the air-bridged arbor that 
Twin Cities frame. Keep ancient lands your storied pomp, cries she with silent lips. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddling masses yearning to breathe free, the wretched refuse of your teeming shore. Send these the homeless, tempest-tossed to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. This kind of is the opposite of what we see in this land, because this is the exiled Yeah. Where we are sending our unwanteds yeah. to be. I know. She does reference like the old world having these giants, like that we are not part of that world anymore. Yes. I know, I know. That's why I was like, when you said the new Colossus, I was like, you know, in like, like cartoons where the back of the screen goes black and then like the white line goes, whoosh, yeah, realization. <laughs> that just happened for me right now. Hopefully, we'll see if the readers agree this poem is relevant. Otherwise, I'll cut it. No, <laughs> I, don't I like I've, it there. You know what? Everyone should hear that poem at least once a year, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Plus, I love poetry, so, you know, we can... This is the start of Sterling's spinoff poetry podcast. My poetry slam podcast. <laughs> so putting with aside hit Sterling. if the how relevant the poem is, it is kind of interesting that like someone has used the idea of a colossus to represent like some kind of civilization. Mm-hmm. And like because the poem doesn't mention Colossi at all. It, the new Colossus presumably refers to America. Or the Statue of Liberty. Or the Statue of Liberty. As the gate. Representing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like the, what is the word where something represents something greater than its whole? But I do think. Yeah, synecdoche. Synecdoche, that's it. I do think that the poem named, I mean, name, not name checks, but is referring to the Colossus of Rhodes. It is yeah, referring to the Colossus it, of Rhodes. splitting the. Greek giant or mm-hmm, whatever. Mm-hmm. So like, clearly like this, these horns being on this new Colossus that is Wander do signify that like. We haven't really left the idea of reaching for the stars behind. Mm -hmm. We might do that again. Yeah. And this baby, its existence represents a question of, are we going to repeat what like is now buried under like this sand? Or as the the priest says, as he runs away, are you going to do something different if you survive at all? Yeah. You're going to atone. So I like humanity. I did not like this. Part of the ending. Chris has told me a little more on it. Mm-hmm. And I'll let you like explain your like. I know you and I have things we would have liked to have happen differently. Well, yeah, let's yeah. talk about Mono. So part in it. my big issue with this game is that I think it like talks about the loneliness in this land and how desolate it is. And like this kid just wants to resurrect Mono or Mono and. No matter the cost. Right. Which is like cool. That's fine. Classic. Whatever. And he like drags her dead carcass out there and then just leaves her and does all this stuff. And yeah. then he dies and then she wakes up alone, cut off from the life she's known and like just picks up this baby and then takes it up to a magical garden. And then they're obviously Adam and Eve and Eden. Bec- uh, and there's an obvious reference to Adam and Eve in this garden at the top because oh. there's a fruit. Yeah. There's a fruit where if you access this garden, which you can't in the first playthrough, it, you, it's probably. very, very difficult. Yeah. But I like they wanted you to. Yeah. Like if you build up your stamina, you can climb there. I'm not the kind of player that would ever find that on my own, but people it's, do. It's essentially a secret garden. Yes. And if you go there before like the end of the game, you find a fruit and most fruit helps you. They increase your vitality ever okay. so slightly. But this one. Reduces your vitality. <laughs> Interesting. So it's like a forbidden fruit in this garden. And I'm like, oh, okay, cool. So I don't know. It's her job to wake up and repopulate the earth with Cain slash Adam. Isn't it strange, too, that like the fruit reduces your vitality? Because like, yes, it does 
literally say like, well, this is forbidden fruit then. Like, yes. This is bad to eat. But also the fruit was forbidden in the Garden of Eden because of the power that it, it gave so you. awesome. Yeah. yeah, like the knowledge yeah, that it gave you. I think it's not the most elegant equivalency, but I feel like it's an easy shorthand in a game to be like, yeah, yeah. this is forbidden because it's you think bad. As a consequence of that, that the fruit is also kind of implying to you that like this little slice of paradise that you find is a little tainted, like it's a little poisoned. Yeah, I like that. And maybe like not promising of... I also think that it's right above the little hole that Dorman's been talking out of. Yeah. So it could be very connected to that. Which is so confusing because it's like a skylight, but there's no hole above it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So what was it? No, wait, actually, no, it can't be because that there's a tower and then you must exit the tower to get to the temple where Dorman is, which means that the tower is actually next to Dorman's temple. No, I think no. it goes no, back part, above it. Because if you thing. go above, you can't find. There's no. There's top no skylight at all was. for where Dorman's hole. No, but like that that garden isn't above Dorman, right? Because I think it. We watched videos of people mapping it, uh-huh. and they like I didn't climb up to the garden. And if you are interested in following through on this, there's a YouTuber called Nomad Colossus. <laughs> yeah, and he did such extensive work on well, mapping the original. So does that oh, mean wait, that I'll this, let, we'll when get you go to up that. the stairs, you're slowly arching back over the temple? To I the think side? so. And I think they cut away so you don't see all of your path see, to the I garden. See. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. I think I took issue with the idea that this girl, first of all, we didn't talk about this in depth yet, but she was killed in a ritual of some sort because she had a cursed fate. And I saw someone's interpretation of that as being, I don't think the game... Where, wait, where do they say that? Because I actually don't remember. At the very, at beginning, the very beginning of the beginning, game. She had a Wander, Wander says to Dorman at the very beginning, like, bring her back. And he's like, I mean, I, I could, I guess. He's like, well, she was sacrificed to avoid a cursed fate. Oh. So I see. I see. Some people have, like, interpreted it as, oh, it was a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. Like, the shaman saw this dark fate that she would be involved in bringing Dorman back and killed her. But that set in motion. It also adds a little complexity to it because it's saying that like in order to avoid all of this chaos that was created because we worship this God Dorman or we worshiped ourselves in the old world, in the new world, they're still willing to throw some people under the bus to keep what they have. Yes. I know. There's still like a selfishness to that. And and, and just a quick aside onto your point how, you know, maybe this is a self-fulfilling prophecy. It's kind of very, you know, Oedipus Rex-like. Very, because, you know, the king is like, oh, wow, my kid's going to kill me and then sleep with my wife? Uh Uh-uh, not going to happen. And yet, in this one, he ends up killing a god and sleeping with his new mom to repopulate the earth. Yeah. It is very Oedipal. Yeah, it's... (laughs) Well, I mean, again, I'm I'm, I'm extrapolating a lot. They could just be friends. We don't know what happens. So we do. Okay. So importantly, I know that's a joke, but importantly, uh-huh. because this is a prequel to Eco, mm-hmm. which is a game all about like horned kids and the prejudice they face, how they're like killed because they're cursed or a bad sign. It can be inferred that Wander grows up and he and Mono help repopulate that area, which I also find it, kind of oh, icky. And like, I, because I didn't remember the girl was being sacrificed, that means oh, yeah. the new society is repeating the same sin. Yes. That the uh, 
shamans yeah. people were. I th- so I think this girl who was maybe sacrificed because they thought she would have a cursed fate and she only had a cursed fate because of these decisions Wander was like going to make sort for her. Some sort of Salem witch trial-like thing. While she was dead, then Wander takes her dead body and like does all this stuff and then dies and leaves her with a, a baby. And a crippled horse. A baby, yes. a crippled horse, and is just like, all right. And I don't and think like, that even she doesn't. even knows this is going to happen, like just the, the decision to maybe die, which he has to know is a possibility. Right. Means that even if she came back to life, if he were not there, regardless of whether he became dormant or not, she would kind of have a shitty life now. Yes. Too, she'd right? be pretty fucked. And it kind of leads back to the idea that like Wander, to me, Wander sees himself as a romantic hero who's persevering to get what he wants. And Agro and Mono are just kind of accessories to that. Yes. They're just like the accoutrements of like this story that he's living. And I think it makes me irritated that I feel like the game goes out of its way to show you how innocent and caring Agro is. And like, oh, look, Agro's limping. Agro is Agro's hurt. heroic because he like, sacrificed He's hurt her. and all this, but it doesn't even let Mono have an expression. She yeah. doesn't eat like the game. We could have been so easy to let Mono emote. Yeah. To show anything about her experience, but instead she's an object. She ends up being a very mythical figure because if you think about it, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not saying it's like to defend it, but rather ultimately what is the game using her right. as? Basically a symbol of purity because Wander is oh, bringing God. her here because he has clearly attached all of this meaning to her that who knows how much of this bears out. Who knows if she even knows Wander, to be honest. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And we know... Like well, kind of talk. Okay, about- no, just to go into that more. When they, when what Iman, when the shaman gets there and sees Mono, he's not like, oh yeah, wander to this. It's not until he sees wander. So the shaman doesn't even have an instant like, oh yeah. And if he if knows Mono's wander, here, wander's it here. Follow that he knows Mono. Yeah. yeah. So we don't actually know what their relationship was like. It could also be like, like it's actually now that you bring up that she was ritually sacrificed. We also don't know if Wander even knows Mono. That's true. Like, if too. he cares about her, maybe he disagrees with the sacrifice. I mean, he might think, like, this is wrong that we're doing this. Yeah. But the reason I bring this up is because if we kind of accept this reading that baby represents the uncertain future of humans and, like, are they going to repeat the mistakes of this dead civilization? Mono doesn't have Dorman in her, which means that, that by the end of the game, Mono is the only character there who is, quote unquote, untouched, who is pure of the influence of Dorman. I think that makes it so much worse. It makes it worse because it means that she doesn't get to be It's a like, person. what does a she woman have to be in the game? Have uh, all her... Pure. Pure and all her agency stripped from her. A pure object. Yeah. A mother, pure, and an object. And she didn't have the baby herself. Like, she didn't have yes. sex to have the baby. Yeah. So she's, she's still very, pure. She's like, Mary. <laughs> she's a very Judeo-Christian image of a mythical woman. Yes. And I just, like, worse. the game tries to be subversive and I feel like when it comes to the role that the female character plays it's so boring and kind of sexist and not subversive at all yeah at a moment where there's an opportunity to do what Wind Waker even did yes where Wind Waker says you are thrust into a uh, into a role as a princess and Wind Waker at least had the I would even call it audacity to show Tetra saying this sucks yeah I don't want to be and Zelda. Her ultimate ending is to not have to be Zelda. So it's kind of interesting that Shadow of the Colossus, and again, like a game that I love, is 
regressive compared to a Zelda game in that specific way. Like it is not being as daring with gender roles as Wind Waker yes. had been before it. And I think that like the ending is still fine. It doesn't make it a bad ending. It was just seems too biblical. No, well, you, you're was, like this, this game's punk. Like, why isn't it? Yes. Why is it so yes. like, straightforwardly? It was, it was logical in this way. Disappointing for me because I said, or I said before we started recording, I called it pulling a punch. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, this game seems to set out to be like, yeah, we're not like other games. Like, look, it's dark. Look at these consequences, blah, blah, blah. And instead of like showing you like, look how really messed up everything he did to this woman was, look how terrible it is when you strip agency away from a woman. Instead, mm -hmm. it's like, yeah, now he's kind of reborn and she's going to take care of him. And I'm like, wait. She has to take care of a half devil. <laughs> what? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, presumably bang him later to reproduce this area. Yeah. Like, that, like there is definitely a segue into a mythological kind of storytelling at the end there which is kind of jarring because I, you yeah. really want there to be a moment where you look at collateral damage yes. of what Wander did. Yeah. I feel like this game promised to strip the mythos away from these kinds of stories, and it does do that, but its ultimate ending circles back around to being fairly cliche. Yeah. I, I you know what I would have loved? If she had left the baby there, walked, <laughs> walked up the she's tower. like, oh, that's a demon baby. Walked up the tower all the way to the top as if she's like, I guess I'm gonna like leave because I probably am aware of this place through stories or something. Who knows? She gets to the top of the tower and then just stands and looks out at the collapsed bridge to like yeah. her homeland and is just like, whoa. Yes. Or, or she walks up or she the baby isn't in the pool, which would cause some problems with what we were talking about earlier, but whatever. That's fine. We're workshopping. Pool's gone. And then she <laughs> gets to the top and here's this like little carefully crafted Eden for her and then a baby. Yes. Like, here's your job. Yeah. And then, then she looks over at her escape route, which is gone. And she realizes I have been forced into another mythological role because before I was the pure maiden that needed to be sacrificed. And here I am again. Yes. This maiden to be sacrificed. I think that that could have been the most subversive thing or the thing to really hammer home. Like, yeah, when people follow these mythological roles, it really hurts certain like groups or characters. And instead, the game was just kind of like, yeah. And she found Eden. And has and a baby. I will say there is another way you can read it too. Like agreeing with everything that you're saying right, here, which right. is that the entire game is the mythology, right? Like right. the entire game should be read mythologically as like essentially a sexist folk tale that like we're used to hearing. Yeah. But where it is subversive is that the actual play of you being wander and experiencing it makes you think this is not as romantic. This is, this is dark. <laughs> like, the bookends of, of it are the same as what I know, but actually inhabiting Link in this story is not what I was expecting. It's dark yeah. and Which, I, you know, again, not as much as could be done right. with the medium. I think that part of my problem, too, is I've spent like 15 years hearing like, oh, it's so dark and so subversive. And in 2020, I was like, wow, it's pretty sexist. Yeah. But like, you know, I didn't have the 2005 viewpoint or filter or like... But again, reference points. You but played you played a game that came out in 2018, so I don't yes. exactly yeah. blame you for that, right? <laughs> like so, it, when we bring the the past back, I don't want to say uncritically, but when we bring the past back, we have to take responsibility for the new speech that we import from the past. Like, yes, this is like a conversation in the tabletop community all the time about like how much Cthulhu content there is. Yeah, there. and like it's not enough to be like. 
Well, it's racist because Lovecraft is racist. No, like you're choosing to right. retell Conan or or Lovecraft or whatever. Like your speech will be treated in the context of the time you make it. Right. Yes. Right. Yes. Yeah, I think there's a line. There's a, like I can still appreciate this for and again, like this is not the most sexist game to ever exist. Like that's not the stance I'm taking. I just think that it's a great game. And the, again, the payoff when you turn into a Colossus, the payoff of seeing how the warrior stabs Wander, like that was really cool. Yeah. So then at the end for it to just end. Like it's so viscerally terrible what's happening yeah. in those moments. So for yeah. it to immediately be like, oh, he gets another chance kind of like there's a baby version that can mm-hmm. carry on his spirit or his essence. And also you know, he got what he wanted. Like Mono's alive again. And like, that's great. Cause she doesn't have expressions. So who knows yeah. how like she e- feels. Even if he dies kind of was okay with that. I think. Yes. Yeah. And there's this garden of hope. I don't know. Yeah. So I, I know we've talked a lot about the game. I think we've done a really good job of summing it up, but there was one thing. Oh, well, I did want, I mean, we, we talked about so much before, but Chris really sold me on like pushing the idea that the baby is not as hopeful as like the end of the game says, right? Because it's more yeah. like a mark I mean, I of pain or something. It. We touched like, on a little, yeah. yeah. That the baby being a combination of humanity and evil is a representation of the fact that like, this isn't necessarily a happy ending. Yeah. It's definitely not a happy ending for Mono. <laughs> but I think the disagreement we came to was, <clears throat> is the narrative voice of the game saying, you should be happy about how it all turned out for yes. humanity and be okay with the fact that, you know, Mono doesn't really have a choice in this. Which is how or, I kind of read it and why I was like, uh. Yeah. Which, but the way I first read it when I played the game was like, oh, this is like kind of somber because she's trapped now. And she never asked to be part of this story. And now she is forced to be which is good like i'm glad that that's how you took it away but like when i played it i was like i need her to look more unhappy like she doesn't look yes it is definitely debatable about the intent the game thinks of mono and whether it thinks it matters what she thinks yes right yep so sorry now you can do it's all good this is super cool too so one of the things that i really enjoyed about shadow of the colossus is some of the fan community around it. Mm-hmm. Um, around 2007, there was a forum post which tried searching to... Searching for the last Colossus. Searching for the last Wait, great really? secret. Yeah. yeah. Oh, <laughs> so the, the, I, rem- I was there for this. I was posting <laughs> on GameFAQs. So there was the decade-long quest for Shadow of the Colossus's last secret is a video by um, a, a YouTuber named Jacob Geller. If you're interested, you should watch it. It's really cool. But essentially what happens... This makes me feel so lame. Why? Because I was on, I was like in that thread and I was like, you guys found everything. Come on, guys. Oh, so you might have been quoted in the video. No, no, no. I was just like, I remember thinking like, guys, we found it all. Like, what's the point? Well. And I am not part of history. I won't spoil it for you. I'll let Sterling talk. Okay. So what happens is there are runes in the temples and all around the map. Yeah. um, And one poster from the, on this forum said, hey, you know, at the beginning, uh, Amon says the intersecting of points is blah, 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 blah. It's like, well, if you look at the rune, the, like the runes and stuff, they look like topo- topographical locations on the map. And so if you like plot them out, here's the intersecting of points and the intersection. Wait, wait, which runes again? I'm sorry. There's the just weaknesses? like, no, no, no. It's just, no, there's, there's just, just specific ones. There's in specific the like oh, designs like the in like in the environment. Okay. Okay. And, and he's like, he, he theorized that these 
if you found where those places are and then made the intersection of points well, there. Well, and that these shapes in the runes represented what ob- like places in the land look like from above. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay. So, yeah, they were the topographical yeah. looks, like, uh, map of the locations in the map. And so he found places where he said, this is probably where it is, this is probably where this is, this is where that is. And when he lined them up, it intersected over uh, the the Colossus that was the beast with the torch. Mm-hmm. And at the very bottom of that pit that he goes into... That you, like, there, you, you kind of push him into? Yeah, that you yeah. push him into, there is a door. Okay. And it's like a stone door, and everybody's like... Yeah, this is like freaking me out. It's right? like a giant <laughs> it's doorway like, that's been sealed with stone and has like weird... And the community for ten, like almost 10 years, about a decade, kept on looking and looking well, and looking. Did we connect this back to the line at the beginning of the game about well, the intersection of points? Right. Well, that's what I'm saying. Wait, what was the line again? So Amon yeah. says at the very beginning, um, something about intersecting points. Let me see if I can pull it up again. But um, he says... This is why I said I feel lame, because I'm like, <laughs> I'm pretty sure there's nothing more to this game. And everyone's like, we spent 10 years, and we found this something you can't even data mine, because you have. it's like <laughs> so reliant on you to like make this connection. He says, so he says, that place began from the resonance of intersecting points. Their memories replaced by ends and knots and etched into stone. <laughs> etched into stone? So he found these runes that were etched into the stone... And create an intersection of points. And that post created a 5,630 page, like, it's not not page, but like 536 Posts. pages of, yeah. of pages yeah. of people talking about this for a decade. Yeah. And they kept on, like, f- trying to figure it out, trying to figure out, like, how do I open the store? Is there a way to do that? The, uh, what's his name? Ufuda. What was his name? The director. Uh, Ueda? Ueda, yeah. He's like, Ueda would not, would like be the kind of guy that would put a secret in there. Yeah. And, God. And so they were, (laughs) they were under the, they they believed with like their very heart and soul, like religiously, that that this was. Chris is also a believer right now. No, no, no. Well, because for context. Yeah. Before like it was easy to data mine this game, the original GameFAQs post was like searching for the 17th Colossus because they were convinced that there was, there was like one. a final Colossus. And then after like a year, they were like, I don't think there's a 17th Colossus. But I feel like there is something left to be found. And I'm going to keep looking. And at that point, I checked out. I was like, no 17th Colossus. What could possibly be left that's so cool? So that, so that was, you know, the game came out in 2005. You probably were looking at that around 2005. This, this post that started this whole thing, 2007. Yeah. And then until 2017, this whole thing kept on going. So what happened was people kept on searching and searching and put piecing together crazy things. And again, I mentioned him earlier, there was a guy named Nomad Colossus. Um, He pretty much mapped out all sorts of things. Somebody found, figured out a way to emulate the game and they could like start doing things and like going beyond the map. And they found like dozens of locations that looked like they were going to be Mm -hmm. ripe for new Colossi. Um, But anyways, they mapped out the entire game. Nomad Colossus is actually quoted in the 2018 uh, remake as like a special He's thanks in the credits for oh. for you know Nomad Colossus. They had to and make the, sure they caught every detail. Yeah, and so it says thank you to Nomad Colossus and the 79 steps to enlightenment. Everybody's like, wow. wait, what's the 79 steps? Wait, like, because you know, Wada worked like he consulted on, on that remake. I wonder if Wada was like. 
I don't have time to explain every intricacy of this game. I'm like, <laughs> just watch this guy. Like, no, no, but like maybe he was just like, I'm just gonna let them make it, and I can't guarantee it'll be. It'll preserve everything. Oh, for the remake. And maybe it felt a blue point. Because based on what I've seen of this and Demon Souls, I do think there's a certain amount of space where blue point had to like interpret it themselves. Mm-hmm. And they didn't have someone watching every step of the way to be like, this is where that came yes. from. This is where that came yes. from. So, and so I think that's why they would have to read this kind so of stuff. if you go through the game, there are points in the, in the remake, the PS4 remake, where you'll hear a little bell chime, and if you search yeah. a little harder, you'll find a sparkling yellow yeah. thing. Mm-hmm. Like little and I got thing. one, and I was like, this didn't do anything. And those are supposed it. to model something to do with that? And if you find all, I think, 79 of them, and then go to that door at the very bottom of that pit that people were theorizing was the intersection of points, the door opens now. <laughs> and then... And you can no 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 I know right and you go in and you you walk down this really long tunnel deeper and deeper into the earth and at the bottom of it you see like you see a stone throne with a sword that's just hovering there in in no way and when you approach it it turns into like dark and goes into you does it make you better I don't I don't know I I, I'm not gaining all seventy (laughs) nine of these things so. I know, right? Like, I think it's so cool that this community was so in love with this game and, like, convinced even the developers of the remaster to be like, no, 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 you need to put this in here. Wow. I wonder why the throne and the sword and, like... What does it mean? I don't know. I wonder if it connects to Eco, because there's a queen. Yeah. She would have a throne. And there's a queen's sword, but I don't think that's it. You do, I'm pretty sure you do use that sword. Yes. Like in this game, like it's yes. a bonus weapon. Yes, it is for sure. But I think it's one of the ones you get even in the original as part of the equipment afterwards. Also, this game has a parachute, Breath of the Wild style that you use, in the not in the base game for yeah. some reason. But by beating a boss in boss yeah. rush mode. Yeah. The, bo- the items from boss rush are kind of interesting. I don't know why. This game would be much cooler. There's like mechanics for like distracting a colossus by shooting a whistling arrow, which I thought was so cool. Someone just like played the boss rush mode and was like, what if I made that? But as the first version of the game and then they made Breath of the Wild. Mm-hmm. Like I, it's just so much cooler. It's like here, you can get objects that help you travel the area in new ways and faster and all yeah. this cool stuff. It does feel like the boss rush mode, the rewards are places are like they kind of put some stuff that they were prototyping and then they were like, yeah, we're not going to use it. And it'll be confusing to leave it in. That's the game fair. Now. That is my fair. guess. Because like some of the bulls, it would make like for the bull destroying the city, it would make sense, for example, to, use the bomb to arrow? shoot the whistling arrow at a to building get to, to get it to hit that yeah. building or mm, something. Yeah. Well, I know that. I again, I I still hate this gameplay. I hate the <laughs> gameplay mechanics. I hate almost everything about me interacting with the game. Mm-hmm. But I love the story. I think the story is really cool. It I is think very viewers, cool. this or listeners, that's why we're doing this for you. And that's right. The thing is, again, while I agree with Lindsay, and I think that the ending doesn't really stand up to the test of time. It, it's just such a unique game. It's so It is a beautiful special. game too. Yeah. I don't know if we touched on that a lot, but the lighting and the color choice is very pretty, but not pretty in the way that I'm like, oh yeah, oh, Zelda's I need to pretty. Talk about that. Pretty in like an ethereal way, right? Like like Shot of the Colossus in 2005 would have been at the point right at or right before gray and brown and yellow right. became kind of a meme, like right. a thing that everyone was doing and 
Just I always thought this game, the original, was beautiful, even with like the terrible frame rate and like the 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 low uh, what's the word draw distance and okay. like the overuse of motion blur. Like honestly, in my mind, like for what it's trying to do is a beautiful game that does kind of communicate this feeling of hopelessness and desolation. And the Blue Point remake, I have some serious issues with like some of the changes they made. They made some areas look much more overgrown and alive than maybe they should have been. Like Wander's face received very little work in compared <laughs> in comparison to like a lot of the environment. You see it the least. Yeah, the li- there's some lighting changes like that kind of make some areas look a little bit more washed out than they would have in the original. But I have to say, um, and this is why I have mixed feelings about the Demon's Souls remake, is that like despite having a lot of these qualitative disagreements about style, I was like blown away when I played this game and saw how they like upgraded some of the like the nature and like the views that you see. Like, I love photo modes in games. I always use them at least a few times, and then I often forget about them for the rest <laughs> of the game. I have spent more time. If you go look at my PS4 right now, over half of my captures are me in photo mode in this game. Wow. Like, I was having, like, emotional reactions to, like, the way that this game, like, Blue Point added in, like, a new lighting engine. So you want to see the Demon Soul? What's the Demon Souls kingdom? Boletaria. Boletaria, yeah. Okay. Yeah, and like I have to say, this is is I have to like give them props for recreating in many instances what my memory of how this game looked. Yeah. Was, rather than what it actually looked like. Like if you compare the screenshots in the menu, like there's like a Easter egg where you can see comparison shots, they look totally different. But wow. in my mind, the places where I wasn't immediately thinking like why they changed this, I was like, yeah, this is what it looks like. It's not what it looks like. That's it's so hard my to do. Tells That's me. Yeah. impressive. Yeah, it's really cool that they were able to accomplish that. Yeah, which for Demon Souls, like I think that's a harder game to do this kind of treatment with because there's so many different influences to follow and like. Yeah, I'm also a bit hesitant on Demon Souls, though I trust that Blue Point can do a good job. Just that you know they had people like Nomad Colossus and the community that was so invested in this game as yes. resources to look at back on. Whereas, Wait, are you saying that? No, are you going to say there's not enough Demon Souls fans out there? Or are you going to say that they're just less helpful? I, I will be silent on what I think of <laughs> the Souls community. Um, sometimes. I will say that there's definitely more about Dark Souls. I oh, know yeah. that yeah. because I remember I played Demon Souls first, and that was back in 2012. It came out first, didn't it? Yes, it did. Okay. It came out in like 2008, 2009. And I played Demon Souls first before I went to Dark Souls. And I remember being at the, like, I don't even know. I think it was rock climbing. And I was talking to somebody about playing Demon Souls. And they're like, you mean Dark Souls? And I was like, no, Demon Souls, the first game. <laughs> and they're like, well, no, 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 no. Like, but like Dark Souls, right? And I'm like, no, no, like seriously. No, there are demons. There are, like, I, and I kept on like going back and forth. Like, like uh, who's on, on first? Yeah, but not really. Just they were being very stubborn and resistant to the fact that Demon Souls was a game. That's so funny. And I'm so, going to take that stance, actually. That's my new identity. <laughs> you must be Dark Souls, too. I'm going like, to be no. the opposite. Actually, I'm going to do the opposite. Someone's going to try and talk to me about Dark Souls. I'm going to be like, you mean Demon Souls? No, you must mean Dark Souls 2. My little brother did that to me when I was like, you know, Street Fighter 1. He was like, do you mean Street Fighter 2? <laughs> yeah, I know he's listening to this, but we definitely had a conversation where he was like, I thought they just started with 2. <laughs> did he mean it in earnest or was he just like? I think he meant it in earnest. Like, I don't mean, I, don't, I think no. he had never thought of it before. Like, there must have been a 1 then. That's amazing. I'm trying to think of anything I associate like the second entry with 
so much that I would be like, whoa, there was a first one? The Dark Knight? <laughs> no. <What>? I like <laughs> all the Batman movies until the Bane one. Dark Knight Rises. Oh, quick quick note, by the way. Is it about Batman? Like, okay. more related than you might expect. Demon Souls is... uh, was partially developed by, well, supervised by the internal studio, uh, the the Sony, what is it called? Japan Studio. Oh, Oh, nice. Which is also the part of the team that made Shadow of the Colossus Eco. Nice. Oh, that's neat. I will say the story. And of course, the rest was made by From Software. Yeah. (laughs) I feel like I need to say that too. The story in Shadow of the Colossus is intriguing enough that if I'm convinced that Eco has different gameplay, I would be interested in giving Eco a try. Oh, it's a completely different game. Eco is the parts where you're escorting uh, Ellie in The right. Last of Us and okay. just, just that. Okay. That's all that Eco is. Although The Last Guardian people liked so little. And that's in a completely different universe. That one's not. To be fair to The Last Guardian, I think most people who are looking forward to The Last Guardian played Shadow of the Colossus, which is a co- completely different kind of game. I think the eco people probably had a different that makes opinion sense. on it. Also, like the Shadow of Colossus hype is as big as the Colossi. <laughs> All right. On that note, maybe we can uh, tackle some viewer yeah. Oh, yeah. listener We've questions. It pretty well, we can transition to... Doing something we don't often have time to do. Yes. Because I don't know if you've noticed how long these episodes are this <laughs> season, but... <laughs> yeah, so we have some super cool listener questions. Yeah, so I think we're already at two hours, so <laughs> we'll do... I think we can do a couple of them. Yes. Okay, so the first question I have is from Neil, and he asks, uh, what is your favorite game story that we've covered so far? Ooh. Specifically story. Story is... Yeah, not favorite game. Favorite game, story. All right. Well, looking over our list of favorite games... And and also, so far, so... Right. We have not covered, as of this recording, Chrono Trigger... Chris is like, so you know what my answer will be Metal in a Gear week. Solid, which is tough. <laughs> I am really bad at favorites. Metal yeah. Gear Solid, Chrono Trigger, or... Well, I guess we Witcher. won't spoil it. Oh, yeah, The Witcher, yeah. Chris is like trying to forget that constantly. Because, well, Sterling, I feel like that's an auto lock for Sterling, right? The Witcher 3? Oh, I love that game. It's, it's in my top five. It's not in the pool. No, okay. it's not. We haven't covered it so far. I I mean, it's hard for me because Breath of the Wild is definitely my favorite game. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if I had as much to say about it. I guess I had tons to say about it. I mean, we had a lot to say. <laughs> about it. I don't know if you look at the length we of it. famously that. had a lot to say about its story. But I don't know if like the the discussion was a lot of I loved the way that it yeah, did this. Yeah. I loved the way it did that. I think this game had a lot for me to talk about. I don't know if it's my favorite though. Definitely mm-hmm. not my favorite. I, feel like I had a lot of issues of, with the ending. I feel like huh? Last of Us trumps this for you. The Last or of Us could be my favorite game story that we've covered. That's okay. true. So I mean, I like Celeste a lot. I like. I forgot we covered Celeste. I like. Mm-hmm. Uh, Persona 5. Persona 5 has a cool story. And the, I think the and story the gameplay. was the worst part of it. For me. Oh my gosh. The story in Persona 5 is like a popcorn flick. I'm like, yeah. And then this happens. And but then that happens. hour popcorn yes. flick, guys. <laughs> yeah. I just had to get a lot of popcorn. It's I fine. I can't play that game. I love, I think it's a good game. I kept playing it thinking, you guys had five tries. I know, right? This kind of storytelling. You know what yeah. blows me away? I have a bunch of friends that have gone back and played the game like a few times through. They platinum the first one and they're about to platinum the Persona Even 5 if Royal. I loved Persona 5. I would still find that on It's they play like it's so much time. Yeah. And I love the game a lot. 
I don't know if it's my favorite. Again, I think Breath of the Wild still, okay. story-wise, is my favorite. What about I know you, that's Chris? a real cop-out. but Again, bad at playing favorites. One of my favorite stories we haven't covered yet. And I think Gone Home is a close second. Really? So is Celeste. I like Celeste's story much better than Gone Home. What else did we cover the first season? Uh, we had Pokemon, Mario, Donkey Kong Country. Oh, Donkey Kong Country 2. We didn't cover, we didn't but we cover covered Donkey Kong Country, and I love... So we pick... I mean, this pool is stuff that we want to talk about. Yeah. It's all that. But with that all in mind, I think if I had to pick one game we already covered where I was just blown away by how it told its story, like how fresh it felt for a game to tell its story that way. For me, it was Breath of the Wild, which yeah. I want to be the contrarian and like say like I something know. else. But I like Breath of the Wild and then The Last of Us is my backup answer. So I guess if, if it's not Breath of the Wild for me, it's probably going to be Binding of Isaac. Binding of Isaac was great. I know. I, I, I really want to big up Gone Home too because I feel like that was a game that to me was so challenging for the time it was released. That's fair. Like that doesn't make me like its story more. To be so subtractive, <laughs> right? Yeah. I also think of like, I guess maybe I'm not answering the question because it said story and not necessarily like method of telling yes. the story. Yes. So, but if I just had to pick one story, yeah, I guess it would be Breath of the Wild. Sure isn't it's a cool Persona story. 5 if we're saying the story <laughs> and not storytelling. Okay, yeah, I guess I'll go with that. All right, what's uh, the uh, second question, second and last question for this episode? <laughs> Maybe I should have led with this one. Oh, um, yeah? Uh, Jenny asks, what do you think about when games tell a story that seriously and maybe realistically depicts mental wellness issues um, or real-world issues that kind of directly impact all of us, like you know, mental wellness or poverty or sexism or things like that. Um, do you feel like that interferes with your ability to use, you know, the video game as entertainment or escapism? Is that like too, does that interfere with your ability to enjoy the medium? No, for me, that's, that's not the case. I think that when something covers an uncomfortable topic, I find it an interesting opportunity to learn more about that and I hope that the author either has some experience with that or has talked with people about that so mm -hmm. it can give insight into how certain people can speak truth. Yeah. yeah. And, and so a lot of times that can be very uncomfortable. But I think that experiencing discomfort is part of like the core of one of what makes humans humans and what lets us become better. And so if I can narrow the question, though. Let's say it was something... Like Doki Doki? No, no, no. I mean, like, I, I think what this person is getting at is also, like, what if it's something very direct that, like, you can you can confirm how accurate it is because so, of how real it is for you? What Does I, that impact it? I think I'm probably more critical of it than... Mm -hmm. because it's more of a commentary on something that I've experienced. So it's not so much, you know, so so when I played Gone Home, right? Mm -hmm. Like I am I'm a straight woman, mm -hmm. right? Lucky you, Sterling. So it's not nice. an experience that I have had personally. So when I play that, mm -hmm. it's good for me to say, "Oh, like look at this this experience, this visibility, this different 
thing that I'm being able to relate to through this medium. Whereas when it is something more personal that I have a direct experience with, now I'm more critical of it. Yeah. Because I'm not coming as a listener learning, right? I'm coming as someone who's been a part of that conversation and who like has my own things to say about that experience. So you might be a little bit more sensitive in your playthrough of it because you're kind of you're looking for truth and you're expecting that truth yes. to be told. Yes. Well, like, so, I mean, even in this episode, and this is such a small example of it, but like mm-hmm. as a woman, when I play a game, I'm probably more critical of how it depicts the female experience. Mm-hmm. Like I am still pretty early on in The Last of Us 2, but it's exciting for me because there are multiple female characters. Athletic female yeah. characters. Yeah. And I'm like, wow, this is such a nice change of pace. Mm-hmm. So I think... You know, the female experience is one that's easy for me because, you know, it's pretty obvious I'm a woman. So when I'm like, oh, this is my experience. And when I'm playing a game that has something to say about that experience, I'm like, okay, well, here's what I'm bringing to that. And I'm sure that's true of, you know, any any more sensitive topic, too, that you approach in a video game, because then you're saying, okay, well, I understand that this is this author's depiction of it, but here's my experience with it. It probably changes too, depending on how the author is using it. Like I feel like Celeste approached depression and mental health in a, I really liked the way it approached it. It was a very Mm. honest kind of, you know, they used that to tell you more about the character. They used that to be a representation of why you're doing the game mechanics and watching her grow Whereas Doki Doki Literature Club kind of used it for shock factor yeah. right. times. And I guess that's a d- very good thing to bring up. And I don't want to, I kind of want to amend my answer just a little to include that kind of addition is that you you have to, you know, treat the subject with the kind of gravitas that, you know, it should that be is, treated with. Yeah. And it's things like depression or suicide or tough issues are not just, you know, events that happen to spur yeah, things in your story. Yeah. They, they, they are things that can be a story in it of itself. And Celeste tackles that as I have anxiety, I've got depression, I have identity issues, and this is how I'm like the gameplay is going to represent that. Whereas in Doki Doki, as you were saying, it is just shock value. It- yeah. So sometimes, like, there have been times where I've had to kind of walk away from a game for a while because it's like, I don't want to see this right now. Yeah. But, like, if a game handles it well, you never feel like it's being used to make you feel bad. Mm-hmm. You feel like it's being used to share something. And I, I, think. I think sometimes, even if it it's handled well, I do feel like it can be too real sometimes and you need to be in a different mood to put yourself through that. Definitely. And um, in my case, there are certain, like, this is the weird thing. There are things in my life where if something reminds me of it and I'm having a conversation about it because I have to contribute to this conversation and I have to, like, put myself out there to participate, it's a little too much for me. Like, I can't, yes, it's scary. hard to talk about, right? But in a game, because I can kind of passively let this wash over me, I, I want to say I'm a little bit more receptive to a game or a movie putting these harsh, terrible images that like might remind me of something I've gone through in front of me. And it almost reminds me of like when I asked you about, you know, why do you think you enjoy true crime so much? And you were talking <laughs> yes. about how a lot of women say that like it validates their fear 
It validates like maybe past trauma. It makes them feel like this is a real scary thing. Uh, and we're studying up, Chris, because statistically, we got to know. Women are the most likely to be victims of any kind of true crime thing. Oh, oh, you so a lot of, what to yeah, do. Yes, a lot of people like then you, you know how to drive that truck back with your stubs. Uh, or escape yeah. from a trunk. Yeah. There, there's just like things that I think women think about. Oh, man. I'm so glad you brought up the trunk. Okay. okay. When I watched Kill Bill Volume 2, stop yeah. scrolling, you shut your mouth for a second. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I, I, again, you just keep on bringing things. Sterling. I have loads of unpopular Sterling. opinions on. <laughs> Not a Tar- Tarantino fan. I will, we have to bring that up. But um, there is a part where the main character is stuck in a coffin. Oh, yeah. And is buried. And like, that is like one of my deepest fears that I could end up yeah. in a place like that and not be able to get out. And like seeing her work through that, like brought me to tears. Yeah. Like when she starts like breaking the coffin from the inside, and I was like, this is like, I like this would, this is, should be too much for me, but some part of this is validating. Right. And I think in a game, I think in a game, it makes me feel good for the game to say that something that made me suffer in the past should be something you suffer for. Like, yeah. it's not, wait, I think, came up. No, no, I see what like, you're saying. And I think that that could be a difference between Doki Doki and Celeste as well, which are just, I mean, they're, they both deal with different forms of depression and they're both games we've covered. Mm-hmm. And that Celeste is a game that says, yeah, this is a very difficult struggle this character is working through and you are helping her work through this very difficult challenge. Whereas Doki Doki is just like, yeah, these people are crazy, right? Like, mm-hmm. so I think that's, kind of aligns with the validating nature of it where in one case you're seeing someone face it and it is treated with like the gravitas reverence yeah like that kind of respect whereas if it's more of a like it might have been different for you if in kill bill was just like yeah she's buried in a coffin off screen yeah and it's or and if it weren't the protagonist if it were just like some b character did you ever watch that ryan reynolds movie where he was buried in a coffin and it was just him like a close-up of his face for like two hours no. I don't think that's are you, real. Are you thinking of is World this a Trade fever Center? Fever dream? No, it might be a fever There's dream. There's a movie about Nicolas Cage who's like trapped under the World Trade Center, and like most of the movie is him being just being there. Oh gosh, and it is rough. Oh gosh. Um, but anyway, oh, but another movie that did that. I kind of feel like I have to bring this up because I just watched it. Okay, is um, Double Jeopardy? Oh, we haven't watched that which, yet. Without spoiling too much. I think the title spoils some of it. <laughs> there is a scene where someone is trapped in a coffin Ooh. and has to get out. And I was like, this is a weird thing to put in this movie, but like somehow I'm here for it. So did you like, like, is it specifically coffins? It's not claustrophobia. It's just Specifically coffins. a coffin. So you're not like Storm from the X-Men. I don't know what it is. I don't know why. I, I always I liked that, that Storm in the X-Men was claustrophobic. Yes. I don't know what it was well, no, about it makes that. makes perfect sense. It was just a cool, well, yes. If your ability is the wind. It was a cool thing to see like this superhero have such a little... Fear. Time to drop the mic. Uh, Buried in 2010, starring Ryan and Reynolds, where he is a civilian truck driver in Iraq who falls victim to a band of insurgents. An unknown length of time later, he awakens in a coffin with little more than a lighter, a cell phone, and his ever-growing anxiety. Oh, you don't want to oh, use the lighter. Wow. Doesn't that burn the oxygen? I actually had that exact thought <laughs> when I was watching Double Jeopardy and Kill Bill. Yeah. So. I Listen, you got to think these things through. Not a that's fever all dream. Saying. All I'm saying. I think that's yeah, partially not. why in true crime, I survived stories are the ones I like the most. Most people are yeah. like, yeah, this girl fucking did it. <laughs> I, I want to point out too, like a weird thing for me specifically is um, and especially like there are a lot of games that are my favorite games, maybe in part because I played them during depression or something yeah. like that, where I liked 
project like I realized that the villain or the antagonist of these games I could relate to them. Oh, and like okay. killing my own negative feelings was like All something right. interesting there. I like that. I'm and on board. So I feel like I don't know. You kind of have to figure out like what kind of therapy for these problems works for you. And if you, if a game handling it is going to explore it in the way that you want it to. Yeah. Like in my case, like, you know, lots of different games explore many different things that, that bother me. But like in Dark Souls, I really liked that the antagonist of the game, Gwyn, is someone who doesn't want the world to change and someone who doesn't want essentially to lose all of these things that he's built and like have people walk away from him. Yeah. And at the time that I was playing that, I was like, Oh man, I I'm Gwyn. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's like, you know, that was therapeutic yeah. for me. I will say there's definitely moods too. Like I started the last of us two and I mean, no spoilers, heavy stuff happens in the last of us too. Yeah. And there are definitely points where I had to just kind of stop. I'm like, wow, this was my emotional capacity yeah. for the day. And, and then the we bought Code Vein. Goes really hard on some traumatic experiences without spoiling anything. Yeah. Uh, which is part of like why the conversation about it is so complicated. Yeah. Which is, you know, I don't think I've gotten to some of the more controversial parts of that game yet, but I've seen this. It's actually like I'm glad that games that, try. I think we should revisit this question. Okay. Because a big part of the split in the conversation I've seen in certain communities is about like is it exploring this trauma in a way that's helpful for me or, or you or yeah. whoever might have experienced that before? And I've seen people kind of come out on both sides of that. Which, to be clear, and I covered this a little, not to keep bringing up Doki Doki, but I covered this a little with Doki Doki. I don't think a game has an obligation to handle it in the respectful way. Like mm-hmm. I, I prefer it that way for sure, but no game or art. yeah. Has to. And I mean, because I may be surprised. Your audience, and, and yeah. also, I think if you, everybody has to deal with it in the respectful way, it doesn't. It kind of narrows a lot of ways well, to. Like, if if your game, for example, includes a lot of gun violence, like I think it's fair to say you should expect that people who have had a lot of firsthand experience with gun violence may just never play your game. Like, yes. Yeah. It's just kind of a thing you have to accept, right? Yes. Yeah, for sure. And I also think, I mean, not everybody probably heals the same way I want to heal, mm. obviously. I mean, people so. are different. Their experiences they have are telling how they will best deal problems. And yeah. Sometimes it's also helpful face. to see a problem minimized and be like, oh, I guess it's oh. not as big of a deal. Now, I don't think that's true for I all saw, problems. It's funny that we bring this up because that new that new game, Grounded, about the kids who are like, they're like, honey, I shrunk the kids, kids. And oh, okay. Spiders and oh, like, the lawn. Okay, yikes. Uh, they were, I think the developers were at some point had the big question, like, there's a lot of people with arachnophobia and we don't want to lose their sales. So what do we do? And there is actually a slider in the settings where you can adjust how the spiders look. How many legs they have? I don't know if it's, I don't know how, like all the different parameters. That's so interesting. But like on one side of the spectrum, you can have big googly eye cartoon spiders. And on the other side, you can have absolutely terrifying spiders. Oh no. That's my, my sister is like super scared of spiders. So Mm. like Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, it's a rough movie. 
for her. <laughs> Does that one have a big spider in the forest? Yeah, something? it's all okay, the forest yeah. spiders. I will say I, I don't like video game spiders. I'm not like a big, I don't, I'll pick up a spider and put it outside. Like I'm not super spider freaked out. Well, I won't pick it up with my bare hands. That's gross. But I'll like scoop it outside, you know. You know. But I don't like yeah. fighting giant spiders in video games. To relate that, by the way, to yeah. bring this full circle, one of the, my favorite bosses in Shadow of the Colossus is the water snake that tries to drown you. Because drowning is one of the scariest things to me. Yes. And it's like the worst, worst way to go for me. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's up there. Burned at the stake. Up there with coffin. I wouldn't want to be a witch. I can tell you that. Well, I would want to be a witch, but I would want to be a real witch. Not a, not witch accused of being a witch. I think that was clear. I think that's clear. <laughs> I, think we've, uh, I think we've answered this question pretty well. <laughs> we ended in a weird place, but I stand by it. So yep. let's get some more questions from the audience. Uh, not now, but you guys should send them to us. Yes. At- you can reach us uh, with these questions at player vs plot uh, on Instagram and Twitter. Again, that is player versus plot with a VS no. in the middle. And uh, you can also email us at playervsplot at gmail.com. Yeah. Yeah. Any sort of questions or I know we brought up like the weirdest games we've played. If you want us to cover some super weird games and stories and games. Yeah. That sounds like a fun episode. Probably to do. For, for season three. We'll definitely yes. be open to some suggestions. Yes. All right, everybody. Well, thanks for uh, sitting through this episode of Player Versus Plot. And we hope to catch you next time. Don't get eliminated.